Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. Thank you once again for coming to Bard's Logic, political talk, part of the conservative conversation, and also part of the Patriot Journalist Network. And you can find the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. So welcome to the show, whether you're listening live or you are listening to the podcast. Tonight we will be doing commentary and analysis of the U.N. speech from Donald Trump, uh, his first one. Of course, you can imagine what the liberals are saying. I, for one, thought – when I won't give a lot of commentary because I will after we, the speech. I do have it here in its entirety, so I'm sure you've been out there and heard at least snippets of it, maybe what some would call highlights of the speech. Uh, but we have it here in its entirety, and so we will play the whole 42-minute speech. We'll take up uh, that portion of the show. However, I think it is important to hear the entire speech, uh, not just parts of it. Uh, to do a full uh, analysis uh, of it. There's a lot of reoccurring themes, which we'll, we'll definitely talk about. And actually, I was uh, reading and responding to some, some articles uh, that are online, and you know, people can make comments, things of that nature. I was in the middle of that. You know, liberals, of course, and, and we'll, we'll talk more about that later after the, uh, we play the audio for that. So we're definitely going to play the, the speech. I, you know, obviously, I, I, it was I liked it. <laughs> uh, there was a lot. Of, I won't, you know, as I said, go into details and all of the reasons why I liked the speech. Uh, but one thing stuck out even more so than I thought, and I really hope that the Donald Trump, uh, and I wish it, this would become more domestic, you know, on the domestic side of Donald Trump. Uh, I definitely like the the sound of of at least we talk about, you know, a, kind of a foreign policy, and so we'll talk more in depth there. So let's go ahead. And without further ado, I see folks on the line, uh, so we'll go ahead and get the speech going so we can run through it and have plenty of time uh, for the analysis and discussions of the speech. So I'm going to actually go ahead and mute my mic as well, and let's go ahead and listen to uh, the speech, Donald Trump's 2017 first address to the United Nations. Mr. Secretary General, Mr. President, world leaders, and distinguished delegates, welcome to New York. It is a profound honor to stand here in my home city as a representative of the American people to address the people of the world. As millions of our citizens continue to suffer the effects of the devastating hurricanes that have struck our country, I want to begin by expressing my appreciation to every leader in this room who has offered assistance and aid. 
The American people are strong and resilient, and they will emerge from these hardships more determined than ever before. Fortunately, the United States has done very well since Election Day last November 8th. The stock market is at an all-time high, a record. Unemployment is at its lowest level in 16 years, and because of our regulatory and other reforms, we have more people working in the United States today than ever before. Companies are moving back, creating job growth the likes of which our country has not seen in a very long time. And it has just been announced that we will be spending almost $700 billion on our military and defense. Our military will soon be the strongest it has ever been. For more than 70 years, in times of war and peace, the leaders of nations, movements, and religions have stood before this assembly. Like them, I intend to address some of the very serious threats before us today, but also the enormous potential waiting to be unleashed. We live in a time of extraordinary opportunity. Breakthroughs in science, technology, and medicine are curing illnesses and solving problems that prior generations thought impossible to solve. But each day also brings news of growing dangers that threaten everything we cherish and value. Terrorists and extremists have gathered strength and spread to every region of the planet. Rogue regimes represented in this body not only support terrorists, but threaten other nations and their own people with the most destructive weapons known to humanity. Authority and authoritarian powers seek to collapse the values, the systems, and alliances that prevented conflict and tilted the world toward freedom since World War II. International criminal networks traffic drugs, weapons, people, force dislocation and mass migration, threaten our borders, and new forms of aggression exploit technology to menace our citizens. To put it simply, we meet at a time of both immense promise and great peril. It is entirely up to us whether we lift the world to new heights or let it fall into a valley of disrepair. We have it in our power, should we so choose, to lift millions from poverty, to help our citizens realize their dreams, and to ensure that new generations of children are raised free from violence, hatred, and fear. This institution was founded in the aftermath of two world wars to help shape this better future. It was based on the vision that diverse nations could cooperate to protect their sovereignty, preserve their security, and promote their prosperity. It was in the same period exactly 70 years ago that the United States developed the Marshall Plan to help restore Europe, 
those three beautiful pillars, they're pillars of peace, sovereignty, security, and prosperity. The Marshall Plan was built on the noble idea that the whole world is safer when nations are strong, independent, and free. As President Truman said in his message to Congress at that time, our support of European recovery is in full accord with our support of the United Nations. The success of the United Nations depends upon the independent strength of its members. To overcome the perils of the present and to achieve the promise of the future, we must begin with the wisdom of the past. Our success depends on a coalition of strong and independent nations that embrace their sovereignty to promote security, prosperity, and peace for themselves and for the world. We do not expect diverse countries to share the same cultures, traditions, or even systems of government, but we do expect all nations to uphold these two core sovereign duties, to respect the interests of their own people and the rights of every other sovereign nation. This is the beautiful vision of this institution. And this is the foundation for cooperation and success. Strong, sovereign nations let diverse countries with different values, different cultures, and different dreams not just coexist, but work side by side on the basis of mutual respect. Strong, sovereign nations let their people take ownership of the future and control their own destiny. And strong, sovereign nations allow individuals to flourish in the fullness of the life intended by God. In America, we do not seek to impose our way of life on anyone, but rather to let it shine as an example for everyone to watch. This week gives our country a special reason to take pride in that example. We are celebrating the 230th anniversary of our beloved Constitution, the oldest Constitution still in use in the world today. This timeless document has been the foundation of peace, prosperity, and freedom for the Americans and for countless millions around the globe whose own countries have found inspiration in its respect for human nature, human dignity, and the rule of law. The greatest in the United States Constitution is its first three beautiful words. They are, we the people. Generations of Americans have sacrificed to maintain the promise of those words, the promise of our country and of our great history. In America, the people govern, the people rule, and the people are sovereign. I was elected not to take power, but to give power to the American people where it belongs. In foreign affairs, we are renewing this founding principle of sovereignty. Our government's first duty is to its people 
to our citizens to serve their needs, to ensure their safety, to preserve their rights, and to defend their values. As President of the United States, I will always put America first. Just like you, as the leaders of your countries, will always and should always put your countries first. All responsible leaders have an obligation to serve their own citizens, and the nation-state remains the best vehicle for elevating the human condition. But making a better life for our people also requires us to work together in close harmony and unity to create a more safe and peaceful future for all people. The United States will forever be a great friend to the world, and especially to its allies. But we can no longer be taken advantage of or enter into a one-sided deal where the United States gets nothing in return. As long as I hold this office, I will defend America's interests above all else, but in fulfilling our obligations to our own nations. We also realize that it's in everyone's interest to seek a future where all nations can be sovereign, prosperous, and secure. America does more than speak for the values expressed in the United Nations Charter. Our citizens have paid the ultimate price to defend our freedom and the freedom of many nations represented in this great hall. America's devotion is measured on the battlefields where our young men and women have fought and sacrificed alongside of our allies. From the beaches of Europe to the deserts of the Middle East to the jungles of Asia. It is an eternal credit to the American character that even after we and our allies emerged victorious from the bloodiest war in history, we did not seek territorial expansion or attempt to oppose and impose our way of life on others. Instead, we helped build institutions such as this one to defend the sovereignty, security, and prosperity for all. For the diverse nations of the world, this is our hope. We want harmony and friendship, not conflict and strife. We are guided by outcomes, not ideology. We have a policy of principled realism rooted in shared goals, interests, and values. That realism forces us to confront a question facing every leader and nation in this room. It is a question we cannot escape or avoid. We will slide down the path of complacency, numb to the challenges, threats, and even wars that we face. Or do we have enough strength and pride to confront those dangers today so that our citizens can enjoy peace and prosperity tomorrow? If we desire to lift up our citizens, if we aspire to the approval of history, then we must fulfill our sovereign duties to the people we faithfully 
represent. We must protect our nations, their interests, and their futures. We must reject threats to sovereignty from the Ukraine to the South China Sea. We must uphold respect for law, respect for borders, and respect for culture, and the peaceful engagement these allow. And just as the founders of this body intended, we must work together and confront together those who threaten us with chaos, turmoil, and terror. The scourge of our planet today is a small group of rogue regimes that violate every principle on which the United Nations is based. They respect neither their own citizens nor the sovereign rights of their countries. If the righteous many do not confront the wicked few, then evil will triumph. When decent people and nations become bystanders to history, the forces of destruction only gather power and strength. No one has shown more contempt for other nations and for the well-being of their own people than the depraved regime in North Korea. It is responsible for the starvation deaths of millions of North Koreans and for the imprisonment, torture, killing, and oppression of countless more. We were all witness to the regime's deadly abuse when an innocent American college student, Otto Warmbier, was returned to America only to die a few days later. We saw it in the assassination of the dictator's brother using banned nerve agents in an international airport. We know it kidnapped a sweet, 13-year-old Japanese girl from a beach in her own country to enslave her as a language tutor for North Korea's spies. If this is not twisted enough, now North Korea's reckless pursuit of nuclear weapons and ballistic missiles threatens the entire world with unthinkable loss of human life. It is an outrage that some nations would not only trade with such a regime, but would arm, supply, and financially support a country that imperils the world with nuclear conflict. No nation on earth has an interest in seeing this band of criminals arm itself with nuclear weapons and missiles. The United States has great strength and patience, but if it is forced to defend itself or its allies, we will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Rocket Man is on a suicide mission for himself and for his regime. The United States is ready, willing, and able, but hopefully this will not be necessary. That's what the United Nations is all about. That's what the United Nations is for. Let's see how they do. It is time for North Korea to realize that the denuclearization is its only acceptable future. The United Nations Security Council recently held two unanimous 15 to nothing votes 
adopting hard-hitting resolutions against North Korea. And I want to thank China and Russia for joining the vote to impose sanctions, along with all of the other members of the Security Council. Thank you to all involved. But we must do much more. It is time for all nations to work together to isolate the Kim regime until it ceases its hostile behavior. We face this decision not only in North Korea. It is far past time for the nations of the world to confront another reckless regime, one that speaks openly of mass murder, vowing death to America, destruction to Israel, and ruin for many leaders and nations in this room. The Iranian government masks a corrupt dictatorship behind the false guise of a democracy. It has turned a wealthy country with a rich history and culture into an economically depleted rogue state whose chief exports are violence, bloodshed, and chaos. The longest suffering victims of Iran's leaders are, in fact, its own people. Rather than use its resources to improve Iranian lives, its oil profits go to fund Hezbollah and other terrorists that kill innocent Muslims and attack their peaceful Arab and Israeli neighbors. This wealth, which rightly belongs to Iran's people, also goes to shore up Bashar al-Assad's dictatorship, fuel Yemen's civil war, and undermine peace throughout the entire Middle East. We cannot let a murderous regime continue these destabilizing activities while building dangerous missiles, and we cannot abide by an agreement if it provides cover for the eventual construction of a nuclear program. The Iran deal was one of the worst and most one-sided transactions the United States has ever entered into. Frankly, that deal is an embarrassment to the United States, and I don't think you've heard the last of it. Believe me. It is time for the entire world to join us in demanding that Iran's government end its pursuit of death and destruction. It is time for the regime to free all Americans and citizens of other nations that they have unjustly detained. And above all, Iran's government must stop supporting terrorists, begin serving its own people, and respect the sovereign rights of its neighbors. The entire world understands that the good people of Iran want change. And other than the vast military power of the United States, that Iran's people are what their leaders fear the most. This is what causes the regime to restrict Internet access, tear down satellite dishes, shoot unarmed student protesters, and imprison political reformers. Oppressive regimes cannot endure forever, and the day will come when the people will face a choice. 
Will they continue down the path of poverty, bloodshed, and terror? Or will the Iranian people return to the nation's proud roots as a center of civilization, culture, and wealth, where their people can be happy and prosperous once again? The Iranian regime's support for terror is in stark contrast to the recent commitments of many of its neighbors to fight terrorism and halt its finance. In Saudi Arabia early last year, I was greatly honored to address the leaders of more than 50 Arab and Muslim nations. We agreed that all responsible nations must work together to confront terrorists and the Islamic extremism that inspires them. We will stop radical Islamic terrorism because we cannot allow it to tear up our nation and indeed to tear up the entire world. We must deny the terrorists safe haven, transit, funding, and any form of support for their vile and sinister ideology. We must drive them out of our nations. It is time to expose and hold responsible those countries who support and finance terror groups like Al-Qaeda, Hezbollah, the Taliban, and others that slaughter innocent people. The United States and our allies are working together throughout the Middle East to crush the loser terrorists and stop the reemergence of safe havens they use to launch attacks on all of our people. Last month, I announced a new strategy for victory in the fight against this evil in Afghanistan. From now on, our security interests will dictate the length and scope of military operations, not arbitrary benchmarks and timetables set up by politicians. I have also totally changed the rules of engagement in our fight against the Taliban and other terrorist groups. In Syria and Iraq, we have made big gains toward lasting defeat of ISIS. In fact, our country has achieved more against ISIS in the last eight months than it has in many, many years combined. We seek the de-escalation of the Syrian conflict and a political solution that honors the will of the Syrian people. The actions of the criminal regime of Bashar al-Assad, including the use of chemical weapons against his own citizens, even innocent children, shock the conscience of every decent person. No society can be safe if banned chemical weapons are allowed to spread. That is why the United States carried out a missile strike on the airbase that launched the attack. We appreciate the efforts of the United Nations agencies that are providing vital humanitarian assistance in areas liberated from ISIS and we especially thank Jordan, Turkey, and Lebanon for their role in hosting refugees from the Syrian conflict. The United States 
is a compassionate nation and has spent billions and billions of dollars in helping to support this effort. We seek an approach to refugee resettlement that is designed to help these horribly treated people and which enables their eventual return to their home countries to be part of the rebuilding process. For the cost of resettling one refugee in the United States, we can assist more than 10 in their home region. Out of the goodness of our hearts, we offer financial assistance to hosting countries in the region, and we support recent agreements of the G20 nations that will seek to host refugees as close to their home countries as possible. This is the safe, responsible, and humanitarian approach. For decades, the United States has dealt with migration challenges here in the Western Hemisphere. We have learned that over the long term, uncontrolled migration is deeply unfair to both the sending and the receiving countries. For the sending countries, it reduces domestic pressure to pursue needed political and economic reform and drains them of the human capital necessary to motivate and implement those reforms. For the receiving countries, the substantial costs of uncontrolled migration are borne overwhelmingly by low-income citizens whose concerns are often ignored by both media and government. I want to salute the work of the United Nations in seeking to address the problems that cause people to flee from their homes. The United Nations and African Union led peacekeeping missions to have invaluable contributions in stabilizing conflicts in Africa. The United States continues to lead the world in humanitarian assistance, including famine prevention and relief in South Sudan, Somalia, and northern Nigeria and Yemen. We have invested in better health and opportunity all over the world through programs like PEPFAR, which funds AIDS relief, the President's Malaria Initiative, the Global Health Security Agenda, the Global Fund to End Modern Slavery, and the Woman Entrepreneurs Finance Initiative part of our commitment to empowering women all across the globe. We also thank... We also thank the Secretary General for recognizing that the United Nations must reform if it is to be an effective partner in confronting threats to sovereignty, security, and prosperity. Too often the focus of this organization has not been on results, but on bureaucracy and process. In some cases, states that seek to subvert this institution's noble aims have hijacked the very systems that are supposed to advance them. For example, it is a massive source of embarrassment to the United Nations that some governments with egregious human rights records 
sit on the UN Human Rights Council. The United States is one out of 193 countries in the United Nations, and yet we pay 22% of the entire budget and more. In fact, we pay far more than anybody realizes. The United States bears an unfair cost burden, but to be fair, if it could actually accomplish all of its stated goals, especially the goal of peace, this investment would easily be well worth it. Major portions of the world are in conflict, and some, in fact, are going to hell. But the powerful people in this room, under the guidance and auspices of the United Nations, can solve many of these vicious and complex problems. The American people hope that one day soon the United Nations can be a much more accountable and effective advocate for human dignity and freedom around the world. In the meantime, we believe that no nation should have to bear a disproportionate share of the burden militarily or financially. Nations of the world must take a greater role in promoting secure and prosperous societies in their own regions. That is why in the Western Hemisphere, the United States has stood against the corrupt, destabilizing regime in Cuba and embraced the enduring dream of the Cuban people to live in freedom. My administration recently announced that we will not lift sanctions on the Cuban government until it makes fundamental reforms. We have also imposed tough, calibrated sanctions on the socialist Maduro regime in Venezuela, which has brought a once thriving nation to the brink of total collapse. The socialist dictatorship of Nicolas Maduro has inflicted terrible pain and suffering on the good people of that country. This corrupt regime destroyed a prosperous nation by imposing a failed ideology that has produced poverty and misery everywhere it has been tried. To make matters worse, Maduro has defied his own people, stealing power from their elected representatives to preserve his disastrous rule. The Venezuelan people are starving, and their country is collapsing. Their democratic institutions are being destroyed. This situation is completely unacceptable, and we cannot stand by and watch. As a responsible neighbor and friend, we and all others have a goal. That goal is to help them regain their freedom recover their country, and restore their democracy. I would like to thank leaders in this room for condemning the regime and providing vital support to the Venezuelan people. The United States has taken important steps to hold the regime accountable. We are prepared to take further action if the government of Venezuela persists on its path to impose authoritarian rule on the Venezuelan people. 
We are fortunate to have incredibly strong and healthy trade relationships with many of the Latin American countries gathered here today. Our economic bond forms a critical foundation for advancing peace and prosperity for all of our people and all of our neighbors. I ask every country represented here today to be prepared to do more to address this very real crisis. We call for the full restoration of democracy and political freedoms in Venezuela. The problem in Venezuela is not that socialism has been poorly implemented, but that socialism has been faithfully implemented. From the Soviet Union to Cuba to Venezuela, wherever true socialism or communism has been adopted, it has delivered anguish and devastation and failure. Those who preach the tenets of these discredited ideologies only contribute to the continued suffering of the people who live under these cruel systems. America stands with every person living under a brutal regime. Our respect for sovereignty is also a call for action. All people deserve a government that cares for their safety, their interests, and their well-being, including their prosperity. In America, we seek stronger ties of business and trade with all nations of goodwill. But this trade must be fair and it must be reciprocal. For too long, the American people were told that mammoth multinational trade deals unaccountable international tribunals and powerful global bureaucracies were the best way to promote their success. But as those promises flowed, millions of jobs vanished and thousands of factories disappeared. Others gamed the system and broke the rules. And our great middle class once the bedrock of American prosperity was forgotten and left behind, but they are forgotten no more, and they will never be forgotten again. While America will pursue cooperation and commerce with other nations, we are renewing our commitment to the first duty of every government, the duty of our citizens. This bond is the source of America's strength and that of every responsible nation represented here today. If this organization is to have any hope of successfully confronting the challenges before us, it will depend, as President Truman said some 70 years ago, on the independent strength of its members. If we are to embrace the opportunities of the future and overcome the present dangers together, there can be no substitute for strong, sovereign, and independent nations. Nations that are rooted in their histories and invested in their destinies. 
Nations that seek allies to befriend, not enemies to conquer. And most important of all, nations that are home to patriots, to men and women who are willing to sacrifice for their countries, their fellow citizens, and for all that is best in the human spirit. In remembering the great victory that led to this body's founding, we must never forget that those heroes who fought against evil also fought for the nations that they loved. Patriotism led the Poles to die to save Poland, the French to fight for a free France, and the Brits to stand strong for Britain. Today, if we do not invest ourselves, our hearts, and our minds in our nations, if we will not build strong families, safe communities, and healthy societies for ourselves, no one can do it for us. We cannot wait for someone else, for faraway countries or far-off bureaucracies. We can't do it. We must solve our problems to build our prosperity, to secure our future, or we will build vulnerable to decay, domination, and defeat. The true question for the United Nations today, for people all over the world who hope for better lives for themselves and their children, is a basic one. Are we still patriots? Do we love our nations enough to protect their sovereignty and to take ownership of their futures? Do we revere them enough to defend their interests, preserve their cultures, and ensure a peaceful world for their citizens. One of the greatest American patriots, John Adams, wrote that the American Revolution was effected before the war commenced. The revolution was in the minds and hearts of the people. That was the moment when America awoke, when we looked around and understood that we were a nation. We realized who we were, what we valued, and what we would give our lives to defend. From its very first moments, the American story is the story of what is possible when people take ownership of their future. The United States of America has been among the greatest forces for good in the history of the world and the greatest defenders of sovereignty security, and prosperity for all. Now we are calling for a great reawakening of nations, for the revival of their spirits, their pride, their people, and their patriotism. History is asking us whether we are up to the task. Our answer will be a renewal of will, a rediscovery of resolve, and a rebirth of devotion we need to defeat the enemies of humanity and unlock the potential of life itself. Our hope is a word and world of proud, independent nations that embrace their duties, seek friendship, respect others, and make common cause in the greatest shared interest of all, a future of dignity and peace for the people 
of this wonderful earth. This is the true vision of the United Nations, the ancient wish of every people, and the deepest yearning that lives inside every sacred soul. So let this be our mission, and let this be our message to the world. We will fight together, sacrifice together, and stand together for peace, for freedom, for justice, for family, for humanity, and for the Almighty God who made us all. Thank you. God bless you. God bless the nations of the world. And God bless the United States of America. Thank you very much. And that was the speech in its entirety. Uh, I know a lot of folks uh, may have heard some of it, but I know it was about 10 a.m. in the morning when the speech was going to a lot of folks were probably at work and only in the last day or so have heard maybe snippets or what some would call highlights or things of that nature. And frankly, I would have to say, at least for me, that whole speech is a highlight. I mean, uh, I'll listen to it again, I'm sure. Uh, but then, wow, I, I, I mean, in compared to past speeches, especially if you were to take this and this speech, or maybe even listen to an Obama speech and then listen to this one, uh, the stark contrast. Uh, and, and I think that the part that really struck out the most, and for me, and I like it, but of course liberals hated it, but uh, is, is talk about sovereignty. You know, I mean, he, I mean, I, I, I wanted to make a tally, but I was so busy multitasking behind the scenes here. And then again, how many times he, he mentioned the word sovereignty? How the, the, the many times he mentioned independence? Uh, so, well, uh, it was a, I just thought the whole speech was great. Now, you know, some people, of course, are blasting nationalism, and I don't know. I don't know. I guess nationalism is now an evil word now. Uh, you know, since Trump's got elected at least more so than it was in the past. But we do see callers, and those, uh, I also see other folks who like to chime in. So give us a call at 347-945-7428, and I'll get you into the show. Uh, and so just push the one on your number dial uh, when you're ready to come in. Again, that's 347-945-7428. Uh, we've already got a couple folks in here, so let's go ahead. And uh, we've got Dr. Tolbert. We have... Also, we have Kelly, and we also have Susan, and that will be in the line uh, that we will be getting you in. And then other folks, uh, you know, call in, and we'll get you to the show as well. But first, let's uh, go ahead and welcome. And I got so many notes. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to get to some too. But if not, you know, maybe uh, later on. But thank you very much, Dr. Tober, for coming to the show. How are you? And what did you think of the speech? You know, I I go back, and what I was doing today, I was looking at all the articles that we have written about even the fact of sovereignty and how we continue to look at the republic as we are set up under the sovereign states. And he was making mention of the sovereign states and how the United Nations has to key toward that same sovereignty. And then we go back and look how we're no longer under the sovereign states and that the two political parties in America has actually destroyed the federalism as we know it in America. I don't know if people are aware of my feelings is that I am totally against the United Nations. Uh, I believe that the United Nations has led us into the one world power direction 
and oh, heading us into say again, sir. Oh, I said they want to certainly. <laughs> yeah, and 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 so for me, I, and I sent you the list of all the countries and other countries he mentioned. For an example, Venezuela and Cuba, which are both part of the UN, but yet not being controlled by the UN. Uh, we take and look at Iran and some of the other countries which are part of the UN, but not being controlled by the UN. So when you look at you have these countries, and we're paying much greater than 22%, uh, we're closer to the 50% of our payments into the United Nations. So he was really toning down the cost. Uh, mm-hmm. I am just knowing where the Pope fits into the UN, where the Illuminati, Illuminati's and the Jesuits fit into it, uh, the Agenda 21, uh, how it is a heading toward the one world power. I think what he presented was presented in the proper format. I think he presented it uh, giving background information that was relevant. And I think he held back being Donald Trump. Uh, I think whoever wrote the speech for him uh, did a good job of laying it out in an order, a sequence, where he could read it with the normal manner of which he presented it. Uh, the questions that were asked after the fact, and uh, people may not be aware of it, have you made the decision what to do in North Korea? And he said, yes, I have. What would you tell us? He said, no, I won't. Uh, You'll wait and see. Uh, That's the stand you have to take. You can't let your enemy know in advance what you're going to do. But he actually, in his statement, declared war against North Korea. I don't know if you listened to the way he stated it, but the way he stated it, that would be, in fact, a declaration of war the way he presented what he was going to do with North Korea. And then he toned it down after he made his declaration. And the question is going to be, will Congress endorse anything? Right. We we filed uh, several lawsuits against the two political parties under antitrust violations and the articles of the federalization and the uh, – Sovereignty of states Which we're posting And we went through the posting Today because these were articles We wrote over the last four or five years And if you took our articles And you read and took a paragraph And you put it in a 42 minute speech Of Donald Trump You would pretty much find That he summarized Basically what we're being writing about So I'm in agreement you can go ahead. Sally wants to get on the show, and I'm, if she does, I want to make mention of the 101-year-old Yeah, she's not called in as of yet. She, 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 she had to go, and then I guess she'll be coming back uh, you know, yeah, later on, as you I, stated, but I do not currently have her on the line. Yeah, I just want to make mention of the fact the 100-year-old, 101-year-old Miriam has been denied uh, to eat any food that she wants to eat. Uh, she's being denied uh, uh, proper care. She fell down on the 14th of September, and her guardian was not present. They did not take and bring charges against the guardian for failure. Uh, they will not let uh, Miriam uh, take proper vitamins. 
there will be another court case uh, of change of guardianship. And under calltoduty.org, we will be putting a new article uh, outlining the court case uh, against the state of Florida. Uh, there are a uh, number of about 1,800 people under incarceration because they're senior citizens and they're not being proper taken care of. I want to make it an important issue, although what Trump and what we're talking about is an important issue. Uh, our American citizens and senior citizens are not being taken care of, and we really need, we watched, uh, I think the number was 12 that died in South Florida for improper care, uh, blaming uh, Florida, uh, Power and Light, and the governor of Florida for not properly ensuring that there was um, backup power in, in facilities of senior citizens. So uh, thank you, Robert. Let, go ahead and let somebody else speak. Okay. And uh, we do have uh, – I do see Sally is called back in. We'll get you in uh, shortly, Sally. Uh, but first let's take uh, some opening comments from Kelly and Susan. Uh, as I said, that would get on the – the line here and then of course we'll bring things back around definitely uh, have a lot to cover uh one i like to see what uh, folks favorite uh, part of the speech was or the one thing that really stuck out to them but first let's go ahead and uh kelly thank you very much for coming to the show how are you tonight hey buddy uh i'm uh well i'm still stunned at uh okay Writing a book has changed my life, and learning how to communicate better has changed my life. And there are many um, important features of Trump's communication. He was very inclusive in, obviously, many nations of the world, very inclusive in, hey, um, Venezuela, this country, that country, that country, peace, freedom, prosperity, Government should look out for the best interests of the people. He um, brilliantly addressed many things, and I don't think he wrote this speech. Do you know why I don't? Do you know why he did not write his this speech? I, I don't think he really did either. But go ahead. The, the dynamics. The dynamics of. He would say, comment, comment, comment. The crowd started to applause, but he kept going. If he would have wrote the speech, he would have realized that what he just said would yield a round of applause. Yes, there were many rounds of applause, but had he written the speech, he would have realized conversations ebb and flow, ebb and flow. Comment, response, comment, response, response, comment to the response, ebb and flow. That's normal. Conversation, it's natural, and he um, he kept talking when he should have stopped, stopped and gained the applause for the support of what he was saying. So obviously, from my communication analysis, he didn't write the speech. Well, so, it was probably the teleprompter, and that probably kept on going too. So <laughs> he actually used the well, teleprompter. You know, back to the teleprompter, but. He had some amazing points. He did say some things were very concerning, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But if you're, at least whoever wrote that speech, that 
speechwriter was looking at many audiences. You know, Venezuela, of course, Iran. You know, their their great heritage of prosperity and freedom and culture. And and by the way, yes, you know, the Mesopotamia and all that, blah blah blah, ancient cultures. Um, Iran just happens to be it. Something happened that Iran went way bad. Trump addressed women and the value of women. He was getting applause, but then he shut it down. Like, dude, if you would have written a speech, you would have realized that's a pause. Let the audience respond. Um, so he didn't. He didn't write the speech, but he believed in it. Oh, certainly. And, I think so. Yeah. So At I, least I, I, I hope I'm so. Just some, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm giving some very peripheral. I'm, I'm going to get into some details later. But he did um, pull heartstrings, and the deep state, if you will, it's not just deep state in America, deep state all over the world, he was hitting them. He was also calling the UN on their hypocrisy, their hypocrisy of all these stated goals, but they're not having solutions, they're not implementing them. And he called some nation on, look, you're on the the board of human rights, and yet you right, have yeah, called out the hypocrisy. Yeah, yeah. You have the worst record of human rights in the world, and you're on this board. What's up with that? Right. I mean, he didn't say what's up with that. I would, if I was president, I'd say what's up with that. You know, <laughs> um, or I would have said really. You know, WTF. So that was kind of cool. Um, he he called bureaucracy. You know, you're not solving problems. You're doing a bunch of bureaucracy. I was like, this isn't solving problems. Let's get it done, guys. So, you know, there there is something that he said that totally, totally rubbed me wrong. But listening to the speech more intense, he is he is he's seeking world peace, liberty, freedom, and the respecting of national sovereignty and culture. And there's some very good points. I, I want to turn it over to somebody else, let them speak. And then and then I'll I'll go into some finer points. Okay. Yeah, we'll bring in Susan and then Sally, and then uh, you know, as I said, I've got a, a list of things myself, but we'll bring things back around. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, welcome Susan. Thank you very much, Susan, for coming in the show. How are you tonight? Uh, I'm fine. Um, you know what? I have an issue with him. Uh First of all, if I'd have written a speech, you wouldn't have wanted to know. I'd have said, blanky, blank, 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 I'm out of here because you guys are illegal and you're moving from this country within a week. So I guess I wouldn't have been too popular as a speechwriter. And that's my (laughs) second issue with him is that I wouldn't have even addressed them. Why? You give credence to the U.N., you give notoriety to the U.N., everybody notices them, you're acknowledging them, they shouldn't be acknowledged, they should be kicked out on their well backside, you know what I mean. Um, no, I don't think, mm-mm. I, I wouldn't address them, I wouldn't have nothing to do with them, because they, they just should not be here. Uh, the John Birch Society has had that running for years, get us out of the U.N., and in my opinion, get the U.N. out of us also. And number, well, 
I, I just he he went after Syria. I'm sorry, don't go after Syria. I don't believe any of the nonsense that's being dished about. I knew you were going to take you, Susan. As soon as I heard him bring that up in the speech, I thought of you actually, and and, and oh, the uh, the conversation we had when we talked about Syria around the time it happened. Yeah, because I wrote on it. It is no proof that Assad did that. It was the um, the rebels that have done that and blamed it on him. And I'll stand with that. And I don't like it that Trump, I, I don't know if he thinks of them as whistleblowers, but he's coming down hard on whistleblowers. Who the heck does he think protected his ASS when he was being elected? Uh, helped him. It was well, I, I don't remember. Where, where was it with whistleblowers? Because I'll be Brazilian honest, I, I listened to the speech twice, Excuse and me. I don't remember that. I, I, yeah, what about whistleblowers in, in the speech? I, I, I listened. I listened to the no, speech twice, the and speech. I don't recall hearing anything about whistleblowers. No, it isn't. I mean, he's just going after Assad, and he's going after some people he shouldn't, and he's not protecting some people or helping them like he should, like you know the Bundys and all that. I mean, he's got to get his priorities straight. I'm not saying he's not doing some things right. I'm saying there are some things, whether it's in his speech or whether it's outside the speech, that he needs to correct before I will totally back him. Well, that's what I said. I wish wish the – and that's what I said earlier in the program. I said I wish the international Trump uh, would meet the – uh, would would meet the the, the domestic Trump because <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of things domestically that I, I'm I'm not I'm not very happy with right now. Go ahead. Oh, that that's basically it. I'm I don't care who it be. I don't care if it was Nixon, Clinton, the Bushes, anybody who caters to the UN is on my dog list, so to speak. Well, I don't know if he can. So, I, mean, I wouldn't go as far as to say. In this point, though, I don't. I wouldn't go as far as to. Uh, the uh, that, that he catered to him, I and mean, some people even said uh, kind of referred to what he did was wagging his finger at him. So I guess it's one of those things we feel like, well, you know, for whatever reason, he felt like he had to do it uh, because I guess you know that's what past presidents have done, uh, and that you know. But I mean, uh, I don't think he placated very many. Well, I guess there's some, you know, but maybe like Israel. It's probably the only, Israel is probably the only person in that crowd that that really. Uh, like the speech, I think everybody else is like, "Oh crap!" Uh, but <laughs> that's what I think. Well, let's go ahead and uh, bring in well, Sally. I don't Thank you very much, Sally, for coming to the show. My forefathers would have placated them, that's for sure. In any way. Well, times are di- times are different now, so I mean, we it's kind of hard to see on whether they would have done that or not, uh, just because I mean they never had a United Nations <laughs> back then, uh, so they may or may not. I don't know, but. Uh, that could be, of course, open uh, for more debate. But uh, thank you very much, Sally. How are you tonight? Oh, I'm doing okay. How are you guys doing? Doing all right. Okay. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Uh, when, when it comes to the Trump speech, uh, here's what I would like for him to say to the United Nations You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> right. I thought, that yeah, would I'm be not the a big fan thing. of the United Nations. I would like them to bye-bye as well, but go ahead. <laughs> so anyway, the, the speech it, with Donald Trump, I, I have very a lot of mixed emotions with him. He seems, he's like a roller coaster ride in so many ways. Yeah, he says some really things that are good, and then then he says other things, and then uh, he just he confuses me at times. Okay? 
uh, you know, the part, but so much of this has to do with what the GOP is doing to them, what the media is doing to them. It's a very chaotic situation, and um, oh, yeah. we need to get rid of the United Nations. That's the, ultimately, we got to stop paying for it. Yes, presidents should take care of their own country first. That would be really nice instead of why do we always have to foot the bill for everybody else. So, uh, yeah, I liked a, a lot of the points, but, uh, you know, it's just uh, it's, it's a crazy world out there. So that um, – Mixed emotions about the things he said, but the the number one thing is just get rid of the United Nations. I can support him saying the United Nations should go away. We don't need it. And I know Rand Paul has been a big promoter of that. So was uh, Ron Paul and stuff. It's time to get rid of the United Nations. Bravo. Now, um, I know that uh, Dr. Tolbert was speaking about a uh, close friend of mine earlier, and um, uh, I kind of limited on what I can say because we are having a hearing coming up and I am petitioning to take over the guardianship, but I think people need to know, be very concerned about what happens here in the state of Florida. Um, probably happens in other states too. I don't know to what extent, but the state takes over ownership of your, your, your body that you become a ward of the state and you're no longer a human. You're no longer free. It's a very sad situation. And uh, the things that have happened here, they're so disgraceful. They're so un-American. If I could ever actually talk to Donald Trump, I would ask him, why don't you come meet this lady, you know? And um, so let, let's talk about what America has become and uh, how, what are you going to do to fix this one, uh, Mr. President, because it's a, a very big issue. I mean, we care so much about um, foreigners, illegals, especially the illegals who come here, whether they're the kids or the parents or whatever, the criminals, we care about them, but we don't seem to care about our own people. And that seems like something, a message that needs to get back to Donald Trump. When are you going to care about the American people like this um, and what's happened here? So it's um, very, I'm very concerned as to what's happened with her guardianship and what's happening to our country because it truly is a reflection of what we as a society have become. And um, I would more than anything else is ask people to pray for Miriam, ask God's help to free her from the chains of this guardianship, the the way it's been handled and everything else to truly help her. She needs um, she needs to be relieved and freed from this crazy insanity of what has been done to her. So I would ask people to pray, and I would I'd definitely ask Dr. Tolbert to say a prayer for her. Um, and at the same time, I tell people to pray for these two guardians, too. These two guardians have um, lost all sense of decency. Uh, the true the true meaning of the false prophet kind of thing. It's like, you're, you're, what you're doing is just so evil. So we need to pray for them, too, because they need help. And um, just please pray for Miriam. And beware. Uh, I'll be, after the hearing and this case is all done, um, I'll be talking a lot more about the specifics. We're also going to talk about judges and probate court because there's a serious problem there too. It's one of, um, I've come to the conclusion, probate court is probably one of the easiest ones for the judges to get away with stuff because there's a certain amount of secrecy slash confidentiality in these types of matters. And so they can do a lot of stuff that never really gets the uh, public scrutiny the way it should. So that's a, another big piece of it. So um, just want to chime in and kind of let people know what's going on there. 
Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's some of probate, you know, I'm in the life insurance industry, so, you know, we, we, oh. we I don't deal with them directly, but I mean the people, you know, people I work with, you know, doing their clients, of course. Yep. Well, it's the whole. And, and uh, I, I do know that we try to avoid. Well, we try to convince people to avoid probate as much as they possibly can. Oh yeah, yeah. And when I say probate, it's actually it's the same court that does the guardianship appointments and all this other stuff. So it's um, it, it's just a very messy process. But it falls under the same group or heading of probate where they put a lot of confidentiality to it. So the mm-hmm. public doesn't get to really see. You, you, most people don't truly understand what happens in these guardianship hearings um, because of this confidentiality. Privacy is what they're attempting to say, but it gives them a wall to hide behind for the things that they do that people won't see as openly as you would in a typical criminal case and things like that. So just beware. And, um, well, Florida, Trump said in a speech, you know, it's, a, it's, it's the, the, you know, that's been, and we say this a lot too, is, you know, let, let's quit worrying about all these other people and, and worry about ourselves. I mean, and that's one of the things that in, in the speech that kind of stuck out to me uh, as when he said that. And also uh, when he's talked about refugees, you know, saying how the United States is a passionate nation and that, you know, we're willing. Now, I, I got mixed thoughts on this. I mean, he's talking about where we're willing to help. Basically, what I, what I read from it, and, and people correct me if I'm wrong, is what I read from it was, Hey, you know, while we're not going to have these refugees on our soil, if you have those people, uh, you know, if you have the refugees living, as he stated, you know, close to their their, their national home, we'll assist. And I'm, pre- I'm presuming he means assist monetarily. Uh, I, 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 yeah, we're a compassionate nation, I guess, but uh, why do we have to be? I mean, that kind of bothers me. Where it's like, yeah, I mean, it's not going to be on our soil, but we'll still give you money and. I mean, I, I mean, if you want to talk about anything that that takes it, uh, to take issue on, well, I do like where he t- you know talked about that. He talked about uncontrolled migration, and I, I did like how he mm-hmm. talked about how that you know hurts both countries. I mean, I really like that part uh, where he, you know he stated, you know, hey, it, it hurts the uh, the country they're migrating from, you know, and that you know it's a drain of their population, and a lot of times maybe it's the, the better folks that get drained out, and then two. And it's also a drain on us because I mean, a lot. I mean, they come over, most of them through my understanding, and they can't even speak the language. Now, how can you really get a job in the United States without you know, speaking some uh, English? I mean, a lot of them are just they, they just can't speak it at all. And of course, all they can do is get somebody, a social worker or something, to help them get on welfare or something of that nature. Uh, and and it just, you know, yeah. all, it just bogs down the system, both. Uh, bureaucratically and uh, financially. Well, and so, I mean, that part I kind of take issue. Yeah, well, and I mean, the most, uh, I happen to be a, a person who strongly believes that charity begins at home. Uh, you take care of your own family first, you do everything you need to for your family, and then when you're in a position to help others, then you help them as you can. The hand up versus the handout routine. And I, I have no problem with that. But right now, we can't even take care of our own people. We're not taking care of our own situation. We shouldn't mm-hmm. be out there trying to save the world when we can't save ourselves. It makes no sense. Uh, some people compare it to the um, uh, the, ga- the oxygen mask that falls down on the plane. Put your own mask on first before you help your kids or help somebody else. 
you know, if you don't put your own um, um, air um, oxygen mask on first, you're the one who's going to die and suffocate while those around you are doing just fine. <laughs> you know, it's just, it might be a kind of silly analogy, but I've heard that in the past. It's like, it's so true. Take care of us first, then we will do what we can to help the world. We cannot save the world, and it's time we focus. We we can do so much more for the world if we are, in fact, bigger and stronger and more secure then we can do the other things to help the other people out. And, you know, the refugees, the people that's because of their, their own immigration laws that caused the problem. And, you know, go back to the most basic of uh, Jefferson and, and the, his, his issues with the Muslims and everything else. Um, there's, we have to accept the fact that not all cultures can live in harmony together. And people don't want to say yeah. that out loud. That's, that's Robert, what it is. Can I, you can't, um, can, I, yeah. can I tie that in go ahead. a little bit, Robert? Dr. Tolbert. Yeah, go ahead, Dr. Tolbert. I mean, yeah, you're, you're fine so as long as uh, Sally doesn't mind. Right. What ahead. I want to – they just did a study on the cost of uh, immigration in America, and it came to a quarter of a trillion dollars. And we were using a number of $4,000 per month of 50 million people, and their study came out even higher than our study did at a quarter of a trillion, uh, we, which is $250 billion for people that don't uh, equate the numbers. But one of the comments that Trump said was that we are overpaying into the U.N. And by proportion, these other nations have to stand up and pay more money and he was really indicating what we were saying is that we're going to back down on the money that we're putting in if you don't put more money in. And it is your countries that are creating the burden on the other countries, and you're a mm-hmm. member. And I sent you the list, and there's actually, if you pull up the members of the U.N. and you look at all the members and then you look at who's paying who to whom to include Vietnam, China, Korea, uh, the, the, the uh, Israel, Cuba. Did, and did other you email countries. that to me or did you send me to that on Facebook? I mean, I mean on, on, through a text. I, I sent it to your um, uh, email just now or your text message. I sent you the list. I can send it to you. Oh, also yeah, that was, by, yeah. Uh, that was on my, that was on my yeah. text that you sent, but I don't have it in my email. Yeah, I'll send it to your email also. But the big thing is the correlation of cost. So here you have the senior citizens who have no one taking care of them, and you have a quarter of a trillion dollars in cost and debt that is being done. Now we get into the reformation of a taxation program and H.R. 25, and then these quarter of a trillion uh, dollars and these 50 million people will have to end up paying taxes. And then they come up with the new immigration programs. And then you come up with, you know, it's a sovereign state. Well, why isn't the states taking on? You know how many states went to the federal government and said, we have problems with our infrastructure and it's the federal government's problem? Well, I'm sorry. It's not the federal government's problem. It's the state's problem. And if you got a bad governor, and a bad manager, then you are no different than the 193 members of the U.N. that are not contributing accordingly. You're doing the same thing. You're a sovereign state. If you're a sovereign country, 
and you're not paying into the UN, how do you think a sovereign state is not paying into the federal government? And you're allowing uh, these sanctioned cities, so everything you say about the UN has to be related to the 50 states. And this is one of the things that people don't understand. A sovereign country is what each one of our states are, and when these states all come from federal aid or assistance because of of infrastructure, and Indiana just did it, by the way. They just went to the federal government, and that's where your vice president comes from, mm-hmm. uh, asking for more that. assistance in Gary, Indiana, uh, because they are in houses that are not uh, sustainable. And, okay, well, why didn't you go to your governor? Where's your mayor? You know, you, you're telling the president at the U.N. Uh, to do this, this, and this, and you're not even using the same terminology under a sovereign state, under the United States, of a federalism? And this is what people don't understand, that your U.N. and a federalism of your 50 states is no different. They're the same body. The secretary of the U.N. is no different than the president of the United States with a governor body and group of individuals that head it. And we need to rethink how we're doing things, our senior citizens, our infrastructure. You know, last week we did the show on the hurricane, and not one newscaster picked up FPL, not one newscaster picked up the state not being prepared until four days after your show, Robert, when we did one hour on the failure of FPL and the failure of uh, the governor of Florida. It was four days after that when people and senators started investigating. So we take the show and we market it and we put it out in front of everybody and everybody thinks they don't listen to it. Another one of coincidences, four days later, everybody's now investigating FEMA. They're investigating Florida Power and Light. They're investigating the governor of Florida. And so tonight they'll investigate the investigators. That's just the way it is. So I just wanted to kind of tie that together. Well, good. I tell you, now this this will be for another show. Will be tonight, of course. The thing going on with Manafort, uh, and, and you know what? And I'm going to just say this briefly. All this hoopla is going to go on with Manafort. It's going to consume hundreds of hours worth of media coverage, and then and hundreds of you know hundreds of hours of court and this and that. Probably thousands, if not tens of thousands, or hundreds of thousands, or millions of dollars of taxpayer money. And when it comes to that, when it all comes down to it, Trump's going to go pardon. Yeah. <laughs> Don't they realize Trump's going to pardon this guy? Why are you wasting yeah. our time? I mean, I, yeah, there's justice and this and that, but whatever. But it's all BS, and Trump's going to end up anyway. That's that that that's topic for a different show. Well, but. There, there's a judge now <laughs> saying that Trump could not pardon the sheriff and they're going to remove the pardon and saying that Trump did not have the power to do that. So now what? you have the judicial, yeah, yeah, there's the judicial branch is now going against the powers that they have. And there's, uh, there's a court case that will very soon saying that the under the federal courts that President Trump did not have the authority to do that. Well, that's another where the Congress needs to fire these these judges. The Congress is the only one allowed to assign them. 
Uh, they need to fire them and get them out of position, and they're not doing it. This is one of our problems again. Uh, the president well, well, has laid back and said immigration will be determined by the federal courts or by the Congress. Uh, the Supreme Court is not taking care of its authority, and neither is our federal judges. And uh, we need to reorganize, reestablish, and, and reassign uh, people in our system. They're totally out of a sync with the Constitution. Well, well we, I mean, that's, that, that's a show in and of itself, because I, I tell you what, that's just – Oh, I tell you what. I mean, you know, every, here's the thing. Everything that Trump does, there's going to be some goddamn liberal judge out there that's going to try to. It's, these next four to eight years politically is just going to be frustrating as hell because everything this guy's going to try to do because he's not a part of the, you know, he's not a part of their 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 club, and he's actually what he said in this. Then bringing it back to a speech. You know, I'm the president of the United States. I'm the president of the people first because I didn't get I didn't get and, and this is key. He says I didn't get elected to rule. I didn't get elected to get I wasn't elected to get power or something like that. I was elected to give power back to or yeah, I wasn't elected to take power. I was elected to give the power back to the people. That's what he got uh that's what he said he got elected for. So anyway, yeah. let's go ahead and uh Go ahead, Dr. Colbert. I'm going to be in the green room for a moment. So go ahead. Yeah, and, and that's exactly correct, you know, that he even brought up to the fact, and he used the word constitution uh, multiple times throughout his speech in the U.S. Constitution, the the length of time of we've been under a constitution, the fact that we're the nation of a constitution. And this is not normal, something that Trump does. So, you know, with everything we write and everything we've done and everything we send and everything we do, we're still, you know, hitting that several thousand. We're still on CNN, MSN, and all the other networks. And, you know, we're seeing him get more and more educated to where he is saying, listen, guys, you do what you want in your country. We're going to do what we want in our country, and we're going to protect our country first. And if you're part of our alliance, we will help protect you if you equally get involved in it. That's kind of summarizing what he said. Yeah, no, so, I mean, and equally get in, I mean, it's, it's with their, their own. And let's go ahead, and we've got uh, Joe on the line, so let's bring in Joe, and then we'll bring things back around for Kelly and uh, Susan. But let's go ahead and welcome Joe, and I do see other folks out there, so give us a call at 347 945 Just push the one on your number dial when you're ready to get in. Uh, welcome, Joe. How are you tonight? Hey, Robin. How are you guys doing? Um, the guy who was speaking now, he's totally correct about what Trump uh, said when he was summarizing Trump's speech. Trump was saying, and it's just a matter of common sense, that every leader is supposed to be, um, who is in charge of his own country, is supposed to have their citizens' self-interest first, or at least that country's interest first which is different than the self-interest of the citizens because if you're a dictator, you don't care about your own citizens. You only care about that nation, so-called nation sovereignty, which means that you're lining your own pockets. But um, the caller also said we have to get back to the Constitution. Now, I'm a libertarian, but I don't believe in the Constitution because the Constitution is a very poorly written document. When you have Article One, Section 8, 
that gives that general welfare clause, which can be interpreted any way that you want to, depending upon what kind of judges you have on the bench, that just gives Congress more power than they, than the founders supposedly wanted to give Congress. I would like to rewrite the Constitution personally, because I think anybody can, can, could have written a better Constitution than what we have. But in terms of the U.N. speech, I liked it. Um, didn't he lay it on the line when he said, we will, <laughs> we will destroy North Korea totally? I don't think any president's been that blunt since Jackson versus the Indians. But that was that's an amazing uh, piece of work that he put out there, which will be in, in the annals of history for years and years to come. Mm. I'm through. <laughs> well, we'll keep on the line, and I, we're going to have Kelly uh, come in, uh, but uh, the call dropped, and hopefully he'll be able to call in before the top of the hour. Uh, but let's go ahead and bring it over to you, Susan, and then Sally, and see if you guys want to make comment on you know what Joe was saying. Go ahead, Susan. Um. Well. I'm not saying there wasn't good stuff in his speech and he doesn't have good intentions. I'm just saying sometimes you have to take a stand, even if it's unpopular, and obviously some countries didn't like it. But we would save so much money. And, and you know, there was the original uh, where they said uh, to have no entangling alliances. And we can't, you know, we can't do that. And in so saying he would support our allies, I'm not sure how he means he would support them. But I know that the Monroe Doctrine and other things to say you cannot or should not have, any, and, he, and George Washington said, no entangling alliance. And um, the Bar Association, for example, is too powerful. And uh, Section 10 says, no state shall enter into any treaty, alliance, or confederation, grant letters of mark, and reprisal, coin money, emit bills of credit, make anything to gold and silver, appoint a tender in payment of debts, pass bill of obtainer, ex post facto law, or law into the obligation to contracts or grant any title or nobility. And uh, there's all kinds of things like to protect us in there if it had been followed but it wasn't and we've got you know attorneys that are powerful and they're following the bar which is actually from England and they are entangling alliances with other countries and it's cost us dearly it's cost us dearly and it just irritates me and of course when I say the U.S. Constitution and he says the U.S. Constitution um we forget many times that all three are tied together. And the Declaration of Independence is the, is the base. The Constitution is on top of that. And then there's the Bill of Rights that's connected to all of it. But if you, if you corrupt the base and break it, the Constitution crumples because without the Declaration of Independence, you have nothing. Not even the Constitution is. It's got to be the Declaration of Independence first. So, because that is the base, the base that it's built on. 
So, so many people throw in the Constitution, but I try to remind them, hey, Declaration of Independence is the base. The South, actually, in Civil War, the South was very strong on the Constitution, and that was great. But they were not strong, did not support the Declaration of Independence, which is why what they stood for wasn't right, because they ignored the Declaration of Independence. And so many people do and don't know that. They just quote the Constitution. You can't just do that. That's it for me. And Joe, did you want to uh, respond to that? It looks like we... Yeah. Uh, uh, Sally had some things she had to do as well, so she had to go. And uh, I don't know okay. if we'll see Sally anymore this evening, but uh, hopefully we'll see Kelly. But go ahead. Uh, go ahead, John. Joe. Um, the Declaration of Independence is absolutely the basis for the foundation of our country, but it's not um, it's not the everlasting basis for the Constitution as being the basis of the foundation of the country. It's the Constitution which is the foundation of the country. It was based upon the Declaration of Independence, but the Declaration of Independence was a Declaration of Independence, so that we could found uh, well, not really found the Constitution. The Constitution was actually based upon the, the um, Articles of the Confederation, which, if people uh, people don't know this, you have to follow the timeline of the history of the United States, where we declared war in 1776. Uh, the war ended in what 1780-1783, and then we had the Constitution something around 1789. So you have to ask yourself, well, what was the governing parchment, the governing um, document of the, um, of, the, of the United States prior to the Constitution? Actually, George, you know, if you ask people who was the first president of the, of the United States, people would naturally say Washington, but he wasn't. No. <laughs> there was, I forget the guy's name, Mason or something like that, um, there were eight presidents before uh, before Washington, because the Articles of Confederation were taking care of the business, the political business of the United States before the Constitution came along, and the Constitution might actually have usurped the Articles of Confederation. Now people have said, well, the Articles of Confederation were kind of outdated; they really didn't take take in consideration the growing needs of uh, of a burgeoning country. Who says so? There's nothing in the uh, that I've read in the Articles of Confederation which made it an outdated parchment. I just think the Constitution is a reflection of um, to the to the victors go the spoils, and don't forget that <laughs> the majority of the founding fathers wanted Washington to be king. He very wisely, right. or or perhaps maybe because of bad health, turned down that particular invitation. Otherwise the United States could easily have become a monarchy. And again, the Constitution, when you take a look at Article 1, Section 8, that general welfare clause is a weasel clause. It gives Congress the power to do any damn thing it wants to do in the name of the general welfare of the United States citizens. Now, where have we heard that before? In every freaking campaign speech, Ever delivered by a politician. Every. 
run. We're going to do this for you, the people. Really? I don't see my taxes going down. I don't see um, us being safe from uh, terrorism. I don't see the government shrinking its power in order to give us, the people, our own destiny. I don't see any of that happening. All I know is is that 25% of the people in the United States believe (laughs) that the sun revolves around the earth. 25%. Are the people aware? In the United States. I just read that today. That's crazy. It is. And when you take a look at the educational system of the United States, you know, it's not that hard to believe. So, I know, let me, uh, let me, where did I see it? When you go to another of the callers, I'm going to look up what I downloaded and see if I can get that paper, uh, that article for you. It was Peyton Randolph who was the first president. Peyton Randolph? That name doesn't sound familiar, but that's okay. And Henry Middleton was next, and then John Hancock was the third one. Oh, okay. Yeah, John Hancock's one of of the eight, yeah. I think. Yes, I I Googled it because I've read this article quite a few times. Okay. And it's called freerepublic.com. www.freerepublic.com. Because a lot of people don't know what you and I apparently know, which was that um, there was other presidents. Yeah, they just didn't call them presidents, but they were, yeah. uh, They they were wrong when the kids will tell you George Washington, because the teachers don't know. The teachers call my granddaughter a liar. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm just like, I can prove her wrong. I can prove her wrong. Let me at that oh, well. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people was, don't even believe you, you know, when you tell them. No, they don't, but it's easier to do the research when you tell them. Uh, look up the keywords, and they can find it. Um, yeah, I found the article about the 25%. Okay, let me load it. It's, by, um, it's written by the objectivists. Okay. Now, let me do a uh, search for the clause. Okay. All right, now if I can get my software to work here. Come on. Uh, here we, we go. Have, it says, uh, Americans' knowledge okay, we do of science. have Kelly back on the line. We'll get you in, Kelly. Go, go ahead, John. Joe. Um, Amer- Americans' knowledge of science is a little better. For instance, one quarter don't know that the Earth orbits the sun, and 46% believe God created humans in their present form in the past 10,000 years. Now, the name of the article, let me cancel this out and go on top. Uh, it's called... Bad Parenting, Bad Education, and the State of America. It's written by the objectivists. I also read a long time ago that something like 25% of the biology teachers in America, um, oh, yeah, no, the science teachers didn't know about uh, the sun. Uh, That's crazy. I know, it's nuts. 
I mean, something like that. How can you not know that? Oh, you know, <laughs> that's all I got to say. <laughs> In my most eloquent way. <laughs> wow, that's pretty. Wow, in this day and age, Sounds you would like think. like a sheep or a goat. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Ah! Belly goat. Well, <laughs> Uh, and with that being said, let's go ahead and bring uh, bring uh, Kelly back in. Thank you, Kelly. And then we do say it's the bottom of the hour. Uh, and so well, we'll get with you, Kelly, and then we're going to get in and bring in Dr. Tolbert. I know Dr. Tolbert's got to leave us in about 20 minutes, so we want to be able to get him uh, some time here. But let's go ahead and bring it back uh, to Kelly, and then back to you, Dr. Tolbert. What was that? <laughs> yeah, we're talking about. Oh, wow, we got a lot yeah. of distortion there, Kelly. Hold on here. Let me fix something here. Okay. Is that any better? Yeah, it's better. You're wrong, now I Kelly. can't hear you. <laughs> Kelly, I can't hear you. Can you hear us? Nope, we lost his call. Hopefully he'll be able to uh, get us back in. So let's go ahead and uh, bring it over to you, Dr. Colbert. Now we got a little time, but real quick, uh, before we do that, we do need, uh, since I said it is the bottom of the hour, let's go ahead first and hear from our friends at the Patriot Journalist Network. Well, let's try to. Oh, what's going on? I tell you what, I think NSA Bob's uh, come on to the show. He don't like what we're talking about today. <laughs> I can't even. Get, I can't get this thing. He doesn't like the Patriot Journalist Network apparently. Well, well I cannot remember. get that. I cannot get that going. But anyway, folks, I'll be our own commercial. Uh, check out the Twitter team uh, of the Patriot Journalist Network. That Bard's Logic is a proud member by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. Uh, let's go ahead, and I'll, I'll, hopefully I'll be able to, to get that going. I have no idea what happened there. Uh, let's try this one more time, and if not, then we'll go ahead and bring it over to Dr. Colbert. And apparently I'm not going to be able to do it. I hope I can play my other audio clips later. Uh, go ahead, Dr. Colbert. Yeah, the only thing I would want to bring together on what they're talking under the Constitution is the 18 rights under the Articles of the Constitution, and then any other thing other than that, falls under the Tenth Amendment. And what we did is we went back to the Supreme Court and the President and said they need to review the first Ten Amendments, the Bill of Rights, and see that the Amendments 11 through 27 are actually all inclusive in the Constitution and the Amendments 1 through 10, because under the amendments such as Amendment 14, the states pretty much lost all of their rights, and that's one of the issues that we're faced right now. Uh, going back into the fact of what we're doing with uh, Miriam, uh, we will be posting an article uh, on uh, tomorrow on uh, calledtoduty.org on a one-year-old lady. We just sent it for final editing to Sally. And I sent you a copy, Robert, so you could review it, uh, laying out the problems. This will go to the president 
uh, we will send it to the other governors and to the senators, not just of Florida, but we will send it to all the senators. Uh, this is a major issue. Uh, to me, it's even bigger than anything happens with the UN or anything else that we're not taking care of our mothers and our fathers and our senior citizens. So in closing, I'd just kind of like to God bless you guys and allow me to talk and that uh, we'll continue to keep America in prayer. My assignment is to bring God back to America. It happens one person at a time, so I hope there's a listener tonight that uh, listens to Psalms 91. And under Psalms 91, it gets into, if you believe in God, you will be and find grace and salvation. So thank you for letting me speak, Robert. All right, well, Dr. Wayne, I still haven't uh, received that, that list of those countries uh, that you're, you're talking about. I was hoping to be able to bring to the uh, to the audience here, go over that. I have not received that email as of yet, just to let you I know will that. Email, I, will e- I will email that to you, okay? okay? I don't think I emailed it to you, so let me do that right yeah. now. I'll do that. Okay, great. And uh, let's go ahead and try Kelly back in. We've got him on a different line. Uh, Kelly, is that better for you? Uh, yeah. Um, so we were talking about uh, solar systems, planets, the sun, and uh, well, the Earth revolves around the sun. And of course, according to the International Star Registry, um, you can name a star. I'd like to name the sun after my ex-wife because the whole world revolves around her. Um, <laughs> okay. That's funny. Then I would need eight sons. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, prolific. Covers uh, cover the eight wives, right? <laughs> so anyway, we go to the Constitution and how the Constitution was developed. How was the Constitution developed? In the history of the world, a very unique situation arose where uh, King George of Great Britain told the governors of the colonies, yes, they had colonial governments, they had colonial legislatures, and they had a colonial governor. King George says, oh, um, don't call up the legislatures anymore, just go ahead and and, uh, operate by executive fiat, which I'm giving you since I'm the king of the colonies. And so they didn't have colonial legislatures. Well, what happened? Soon was the associations, the associations of many people, saying, hey, 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 uh, we don't have government since our legislature has been dissolved by inserting the Declaration of Independence. He has dissolved our government. Um, so the people started gathering in associations, and pretty soon they sent their uh, representatives to the Continental Congress, which proposed a Declaration of Independence, which in rare history of the history of the world, the people developed the Declaration of Independence and says, you know what, King George, you're trying to be a tyrant king over us. We're done. We're going to have a war. Seven years, 1783. The Treaty of Paris or the Treaty of Peace. We became our own country. And in the history of the world, again, that I mentioned the history of the world, the history of the world, what happened was the people were intimately involved, not the ruling elite, not the higher class, the ruling the ruling elite were not the ones that wrote the Constitution. It was the people from the associations 
to their delegates of <clears throat> small towns, districts, counties, state, declaration, articles of confederation, and the constitution. This document was not written by the elite. In all world history, written from the people, this is the best we have ever seen. So Joe would like to disparage this Constitution, but I'm sorry, it was written mostly by the people. So, and by the way, you know, the French have had like 12 constitutions, Constitution de Jour, and yet we have... Did you say Constitution de Jour? <laughs> yes. You know, 12 constitutions since the 1790s. The French were like, hey, you know, look at America. They fired the king and got a constitution. Let's do the same thing, except it's happened... Constitution du jour 12 times since the history of France. But we have had one. Because everyday people, everyday people, Joe, like you, like me, like so many of our guest panelists, like Robert, said, hey, let's write a government that we will consent to. We the people will consent to because we the people created it. And, of course, the preamble to the Constitution starts with we the people. So when somebody starts to disparage the Constitution, I'm going to hammer them because everyday people like Joe, you, me, Bob, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, we were the ones that developed it. So that little bit of history is fundamental to one of the greatest history, greatest nations the world has ever seen. So, uh, you know, Bill writes whether you're left, whether you're right. When a tyrannical government comes after you, you can say, hey, 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 hey. I have the right to due process. I have the right to an indictment by a grand jury. Trial by jury. Confront my accusers. Require witnesses. Cross-examination witnesses. Right to counsel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The government is going to not treat me, will not treat me like King Jong Un did recently, where a dissident from uh, North Korea who was military brass daughter, saw 20 musicians executed by anti-aircraft guns. He was standing there when the communist dictator killed these musicians. What did the musicians do wrong? Well, they were probably poor, but they decided to do a porno film. And these 20 people were brutally murdered. And, of course, the video and other things. This poor woman who fled from the country... She uh, she was sick for days seeing this, being a top brass daughter, got to see firsthand what happened. And your typical classic communist who is what, not subject to the rule of law? Just likes to, they just like to kill people, who anybody who threatens their power. Yet, on the other hand, in America, we had a peaceful transition of power from Obama to Trump. I mean, there's, there's certain things about our country that we should, um, I would hope, appreciate. Um, but I do have, and of course, my right to free speech, First Amendment, I have the right to um, be very frustrated. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I was rubbed raw regarding what Trump said at the UN speech. Yes, there's many good things he said. Peace, prosperity. And by the way, if, if you're having the opportunity if you're having the opportunity 
to address the UN, which is, oh, by the way, powers that be, globalist, and the world power system, you can use that platform to cause the people to rebel, which he's doing, or they're rebelling against the control of the corporate interests that are oppressing the world. So Trump used that platform, I think, for the good. He took the situation as they, as he was presented. Yes, a lot of people believe Cindy, etc. Let's get rid of the UN. Well, Trump used it as a platform to appeal to the everyday folks in so many nations. So let's, throw, let's overthrow this freaking power system by the people. Freedom, prosperity, respect of culture. What a brilliant idea using the situation he was presented with, which he didn't set up. He used that as a platform to help the people of the world get to peace, liberty, and prosperity. Okay, so Trump did some really good things. All right, here's where I am really rubbed raw with Trump. And I've told several friends, conservative, liberal, left and right, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. He said... He, he was talking peace, 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 prosperity, liberty, freedom, culture, blah, blah, blah. Then he says, and he said it before and after the Kim Jong-un situation in North Korea, he said, we will totally annihilate North Korea. Right. He said, totally destroy you know, annihilate, yeah. Yeah, totally annihilate. Okay, and so I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. He was saying, well, you know, he kind of introduced it with the thought of, uh, well, you know, the U.S. and our allies are backed in the corner. We will fight, but we will totally annihilate North Korea. Are you out of your freaking mind, Trump? I'm sorry. I'm not too happy with that. He could have said it in a different way. He could have said, you know, sorry. You know, like Wisconsin has a badger. You back the uh, badger in a corner, he's going to fight to the death. He could have said it that way. No, he said we will totally annihilate. In other words, he's saying we will go offensively against you if you even threaten us. The problem I'm having here is Trump doesn't understand Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-un is a madman. If he feels threatened, he will push that red button that launches nuclear weapons. He was not thinking carefully about the audience, Kim Jong-un, when he said that. He is only inciting. He could have said, look, you put us on the defensive, we're going to fight... He could have said it a multiple different ways, but no, he said basically we will totally annihilate North Korea. What yeah, did Kelly, I had, yeah, Kelly, I had said that yeah. in the declaration of war when he stated that, so that was an actual declaration of war. Yeah, I think you mentioned that earlier, uh, Dr. Colbert. Right. And that's his exact words that made it in the declaration of war, and it was totally out of order and against congressional uh, rights to make such a statement. Only Congress Correct. can declare war. Correct. Right. If if you want to go to war, you need a congressional declaration of war. Why is that? Because the people write to Congress and yes, Japan just bombed Pearl Harbor. Let's go to war. Oh, good idea. Well, exactly. You don't two. need it. It used to be that you needed it. Now you have 30 days where the president can declare it, and then 30 days for approval from the Congress afterwards. Because the uh, past administration, they they abdicated their rights to do that under the Bush administration. And then funding, and then funding for two years. Mm-hmm. Well, well, here, here's what I'm saying, okay? In the history of the world, 
the kings have decided to go to war. Why? Because they're bored. Why? Because they want glory. Why? Because they want more riches at the expense of other nations. It's blood for plunder. Let's see, the Romans, the Greeks, you know, the Assyrians. Okay, all these nations, blood for plunder, blood for plunder. Oh, that's right. It's blood for the glory of the kings. Well, Congress finally, you know, when they wrote the Declaration, when they wrote the uh, Constitution, they said, look, you cannot declare war unless Congress says so. Well, what does that mean? That means everyday people get to write their congressmen and say yes or no to war. The king does not get to declare war because he wants more glory. This is simply constitutional fundamentals. I'm banging at my uh, steering wheel on my truck right now. If the people of America want to go to war, then let's write their congressmen and let's declare declaration of war. Do not let some Trump guy say we will totally annihilate them. You're asking for retaliation because this madman over there will freaking do it. I mean, he freaking killed 20 musicians with aircraft guns because they produced a porno. Is the guy out of his freaking mind? You don't know your audience. You could have said it better. I'm sorry. I'm just ripping on. You don't start World War III because you're pissing off somebody who's an absolute insane idiot. You go to Congress. You work with Congress. You work with the American people. You don't say these kinds of things. I'm sorry. I'm just going off right now. But it's very concerning. Oh, i got to shut up or I'm going to really say something bad. <laughs> well, we are almost in Barnes Logic after dark. And, I mean, I, I know a lot of people have had that, uh, you know, those same thoughts. I mean, I'm, I don't know if it's going to start, you know, some kind of nuclear war. I mean, I don't know if they're talking about us starting uh, you know, if him going nuclear, if it's going to require that, or I mean, or, or even requiring us uh, to, you know, use nukes in order to, you know, totally destroy or whatever, uh, you know, North Korea. But I mean, I just don't see where that's going to. I mean, we could do it, and I made a post on this on like I can't remember one of the. Websites or articles, and John, I'll see you like to get in. I'll get you the show. Uh, but I, I mean, we've got enough just regular armaments in, in order to take out North Korea. I don't think it would actually go nuclear. I mean, they may try to use it, but I mean, I don't think they. I mean, they they may have delivery systems that can attack. Unfortunately, you know, our allies. But I don't know if it would be something where no, they, it would attack us. I, I mean, they would. They would. Um, and maybe. What you're thinking about, Rob, is will they reach the uh, the homeland? Yeah, they can. Um, well, they definitely can reach Guam, and they definitely can reach Hawaii. And if they do that, that's uh, that's a declaration of war, which is just as good as being bombed in Pearl Harbor. So, and um, unfortunately, Kelly's right about um, the, the kind of reaction that Kim Jong-un would have to that particular statement. I like the statement because... It shows that we're no longer just going to to do the um, uh, the appeasement of what was a guy from World War One, I. I forget. But um, it's it's making too strong a statement, too strong of a red line. But I like the statement. At the same time, I don't think it should have been said. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I I don't. I mean, Kim. I mean, do we really think that? I mean, the guy's I guess he's crazy, or but I don't know if he's to the point where, I mean, do we not think he knows that if he was to try to, I mean, literally attack one of our, Why not? you know, our allies or, or even not? us, that it, I mean, we, we wouldn't retaliate with full force? I mean, especially with Trump in the, in the White House? 
Of course, but why not? I mean, the guy, if you t- just by looking at his face, you would have to think some, he must have put his ass on backwards. The guy looks like, I mean, take a look at that haircut all by itself. <laughs> then you take a look at the, you know the history of his, of his of his regime. Take a look at his lineage. The guy could be genetically crazy, and if he is crazy, then why not? He might want to go out in you know in a blaze of glory. Hmm. I don't know. I guess I just I just I mean I don't see it, but maybe I just don't think that anyone's crazy enough to, to you know. For one, have himself taken out. Tell me, I mean, of course. Well, he might take a vacation to Paris himself. You know, (laughs) he may Mm -hmm. just say, okay, General, blah, 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 you push the button and let me know while I'm vacationing in Hawaii. (laughs) That would be ironic. (laughs) He'd be on on American soil (laughs) while he's allowing the button to be pushed. Who knows? But the thing is, he has sent three missiles over the land, not just dropping in the Gulf of Japan. Uh, the Sea of Japan, but over the land of Japan three times in the past few years. Mm-hmm. Now, what if Japan didn't have a sophisticated missile defense system that that said to them, this missile is not armed? What if they didn't have the kind of intelligence that either Britain or we gave them to allow them to make that kind of decision? They could have, Well, they can't retaliate to begin with. They don't have the uh, the Army and Navy. That uh, that would do it, but supposing it was another ally, and that ally you know, did and have, a, and that ally did have defense mechanisms, and then we would have to go to war to defend that ally. I'm with Susan. I'm with this get away, get out of, and get get off of this foreign entanglement crap. You know, this is this is this is suicide. NATO suicide. Yeah. Well, but, but they're, I mean, but they're directly threatening the United States, though. I mean, yeah, I mean, our allies, I mean, in Guam, I mean, if they were to threaten Guam, uh, you know, that's just as bad as threatening the United States itself. Well, sure. Oh, come on, Guam, get over. Oh, real, real quick, uh, real, real quick, uh, Dr. Colbert, uh, what, yeah, ask just a, a few party words before you got to go. Yeah, the only the only thing I said okay. is what we discussed at the very beginning is that we wrote the articles many years ago saying close down the UN that it is not in the best interest of the United States. We've never been in agreement. We are still not in agreement with the UN. So any comment anyone says or thinks that the UN is going to support America is totally not looking what has taken place with Agenda 21 and other issues, and I appreciate again. And uh, I've got a five o'clock uh, appointment in the morning. I got to get up for, so I appreciate your time again. Thank you. Well, thank Bye. you. You have a good night, Doctor Silver. Okay, go ahead, guys. And then, John, we will we will get you in, John. Uh, guys, go ahead, and we'll get in. And we uh, do in about a minute. We are going to uh, be in the extended period or what we lovingly call Bard's Logic After Dark. And so if you have a phone that needs to be charged, make sure it's fully charged so you don't drop the call, because unfortunately, after a minute, you would not be able to uh, get back in the show. And if you're out there and you like uh, to call in, give us a call, or you know, listen to that part of the show, the extended period, give us a call at 347-945-7428. 
And let's go ahead and bring it back to you guys. Then we'll uh, bring in John. Go ahead. Well, I guess I was saying that I agree with uh, with Kelly um, about what Trump said, but what? But then you have to think about if you know is Trump off his rocker, or does he? Or, or in contrast to what Kelly was saying, we does he? Are. Does he know Jim Jim or whatever his name is well enough to say I can do this, and he will not retaliate because of the intelligence that the CIA gave him? I don't know. I don't. I like the way he said it, but I don't think he should have said it. But at the same time, I'm not privy to the kind of intelligence that he gets. So his his statement was so out there, so outrageously blunt, that either he's a nut, or he knows something I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm sure he knows a lot of stuff. When uh, everyone here on the show and panel listening don't know, I'm sure he knows a heck of a lot more than we do. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not concerned about it. At least with us having to use nuclear weapons. I mean, I really think we have the armament to take. I mean, let's look at those Moabs. I mean, remember when they did the shock of shock and all in uh, Iraq? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I just don't think that. I just don't think North Korea is, is as big as a threat as uh, as people say. I mean, they, they have the capabilities, but and they're like, oh well, they have you know these hidden missiles. I mean, I'd be more concerned, obviously, about you know places like Guam and especially South Korea and things of that nature. You know, something happening with them. Uh, if we were to do a, a preemptive strike, I mean, it would have to be a, such a preemptive strike that they wouldn't even know it's coming. It just all of a sudden, boom, you know. And, and the, only, the only way I think we could do that is not even by any kind of airstrike or anything. Is to find out where these, uh, m- maybe not even where the missiles themselves are, but where the command posts are that can control those. I'm sure they're remote. I find out where those are, and then actually have some type of special forces come in. And, yeah, just, you know, lay out some bombs and just tick, 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 boom, you know, and then take out the their command and control. Well, then we better so hope that, way. That, we better hope then that we have stealth bombers that are very, very effective, that they don't see the stealth bombers on their radar, because if they see stealth bombers oh, no, I'm not even talking about. No, I'm not even talking about airstrikes. I'm not talking about any kind of bombing or airstrike. I'm talking about boots on the ground, infiltrating, you know, across the enemy line, so to speak, with bombs in hand where they mm-hmm. actually are placing the bombs on the command and control, wherever the command and control yeah, is, right, right, you know, placing so, these bombs mm-hmm. on the ground, and then that's what I mean by blowing those up. Well, those are nice Chuck Norris and Sylvester Stallone movies, but in order to do it in reality, you'd have to have a lot of people, and how are we going to get them there? We have to get them there through amphibious forces, and Kim Jong-un would, would see it. We couldn't go the way of China. I don't think China would allow us to do it. The only other way to get there would be over the seas. And uh, what about they, what about through South Korea? Uh, they they would definitely see us coming. And mm. and the estimates are over. If, if we were going to do ground uh, the regular conventional uh, ground war and um, uh, against North Korea. From what I've read, uh, minimum would be 100,000 Americans would die. Because the North Koreans, they're not daisies, as um, Doc Holliday said in the <laughs> Gunfight at OK Corral. They're not daisies. They're a pretty bad uh, fighting force. So 100,000 Americans would die. That's more than Vietnam. 
Well, we, I just, uh, Susan just got me, uh, gave, shot me a message. She's got to uh, go as well. We'll get Susan, then back to you, John, for her closing thoughts. I mean, I'm sorry, Joe, and then we'll get John in. <laughs> go ahead, Susan. Too many, all these J's. No, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, this has been a very interesting thing tonight, even though I hadn't listened to his speech at all. I figured with the uh, UN thing, I just wasn't interested in seeing all those yahoos. And as far as King, Kim John, is that how you pronounce his name? Kim John, John or whatever? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think he needs a new haircut and a woman in his life. Maybe he'll. Oh, he's got plenty of women. <laughs> oh, yeah, he probably he's has plenty of women. Women, whatever, <laughs> I don't know. He's got he the sex traffic trade in North Korea. <laughs> He's a, he needs a new barber. That's yeah, well, that's true. Sure. <laughs> uh, he's not the only there one. Listen, Trey Gowdy, Trey Gowdy and Rand Paul <laughs> need new barbers, too. But, you know, <clears throat> they aren't crazy like uh, him. So, <laughs> you know, uh, there are just some people that don't know how to do their hair. Yeah. Mm. All the crazy ones have the bad haircut days. Huh? <laughs> well, I, I guess they think Rand Paul's crazy at times. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, oh, that's the other thing. You know, he is voting no on the um, repeal of the... Yeah, but he gave mm-hmm. his reasons on the on the Sean Hannity show. And the reason... Yeah. 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 He called it Obama light or something, didn't he? Yeah. Obamacare yeah. light. Yeah, he said there's still 90% left, so... But, you know, a lot of conservatives are bashing him. How was the last time? They just don't get that Rand Paul always has a motive, even if he has to cross the aisle to to do it. He does it because he believes and he follows. Yeah, well, if he's got to cross the aisle, though, I mean, there's got to be a problem. I mean, seriously. Do you yeah. really think you're going to get something from Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer? You know what I mean? No. I mean, do you well, really think you're going to no. get anything good from them? Uh-huh. Well, I mean, occasionally they, they vote a certain way that's right just to spite the others. I guess, or something. But, you know, he does what he has to do, and I trust him that way. He doesn't do it for any personal motive for himself, and he votes constitutionally, you know, just like his dad did. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, he does bear off, um, he's not exactly Ron Paul Jr. He does have his own views, which are more Republican than his father, but the Republican views that he has are the old-fashioned, traditional Republican views, which would be in line pretty much with what his father would approve of, you know, or would would compromise with. Um, right. You know, but he's yeah, not in lockstep with Ron Paul, uh, which is too bad because I'm a I'm a strict libertarianist. You know, I I want get government out of everything, everything. Everything and just leave everything up to the American people. Let us be independent globally. Uh, we'll trade with other countries. That's great, but let's not be um, a debtor nation, and let's not be so dependent on countries that we um, end up being as dependent on them as we are on China. So. Well, he know. has indicated he is probably against giving money away to all these foreign countries, especially in the Middle East and stuff. Oh yeah. So am I. I'm against giving money away to to America, the way that our uh, currency is set up. That's why we have the debt that we do, and that's why the Federal Reserve keeps getting richer and the Americans keep getting poorer, because they think everything is yeah. free. But nothing is free. Nope, there is nothing free. 
Unless it's an actual gift from somebody you trust and love. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a Hallmark card. <laughs> what? Sounds like a Hallmark card. Uh, well, you know, um, but I mean, when my parents gave me a birthday gift, it was free, okay, mm-hmm. for me. It might yeah. not have been free for them, <laughs> but yeah. you, you get my point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, thank you. I enjoyed listening to all of this, so... Uh, well, we'll, uh, we'll see you next. Uh, we'll see you next week, Susan. Uh, you know, I, I sent out the link uh, uh, to you. You have it here on Facebook. Uh, you know, share a link for folks because one of the things I'd like to uh, get some uh, people who listen to the podcast to you know send me some messages uh, on the show, what your comments are, and I'll look over them. And of course, if they're uh, appropriate, <laughs> I'll, I'll read them on the air next week. So. <laughs> Uh, oh, read them well, on the air next week that. show. Sometimes I, yeah, sometimes I've gotten some, uh, some comments that I, I wouldn't want to read on the air. So, <laughs> at least not during regular uh-huh. time. Uh, maybe during Bard's Blog right. uh, after dark. But anyway, but you have a good night, Susan. We'll, we'll see you next week, and make uh, sure to put out the, the link to folks. Thank you. You have a good night. Okay. Bye bye. Good night. Let's go ahead and bring in uh, our friend John. And then we'll bring it back to you, Kelly, and then uh, you, Joe. And then let's go ahead and uh, bring it back around. We've got a little less than an hour. Then, of course, we got uh, closing thoughts, and I'll have to close things up for the, uh, the evening. But let's go ahead and welcome uh, John. Thank you very much, John, for coming to the show. How are you? Robert, you're not just listening to a show. You're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJ Net invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team, grassroots conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at patriotjournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. Back to you. Back to the show. <laughs> wow, John, that was a per- I don't even have that memorized. I listened to that hundreds of times. Wow, good for you, man. That's, that is the audio that I tried to play earlier. Uh, from the, our friends at the Patriot Journalist Network, and let me tell you, that was spot on, John. I tell you what, that was incredible. <laughs> that was that was awesome. Uh, we go ahead. What, so, what did you think about the speech? What was your uh, least favorite part? What was your favorite part? Uh, what's your thoughts on you know everything that you heard tonight? I just loved hearing everybody sharing their particular views, and I'm kind of torn. You know, I kind of feel like everybody. Because every time I hear somebody talk, it's like, oh, yeah, I understand. I I can hear that or relate to that. So it's like, you know, somebody was saying before, give Donald Trump a few days and he'll say something else that contradicted everything he said today. So, I mean, it's hard to read him. At the same time, you have hope and you love the conversation or the speech and what it represented in, in the most part. But everything that Kelly and, and Joe and... Dr. Tolbert and Susan, everybody's been bringing up, had very valid points, too, that I may have not considered to the full extent that I needed to. So I'm just, like, soaking it all in and saying, yeah, i got to, you know, reevaluate and rethink this stuff and make sure i got all my ducks in, in a row. And I think that's that's what's good. And I hope, you know, I think Stephen Miller probably had a whole lot to do with this um, speech because if you – Anybody that's ever contacted Jeff Sessions' team back in the day, Stephen was part of the 
office staff, you know, that helped out. So you get to talk to him every now and then. He's always been a stand-up character. I haven't talked to him that often, but I, you know, got to talk to him a lot. But it sounds a lot like it, he had a lot to do with it. I don't know if um, what's the Sarah Huckabee Sanders had anything to do with that or not. But anyway, that I don't really have anything to add. You guys have just tore it up. Sounded great. Back to you. Oh, thanks, John. I appreciate it. Of course, uh, as always, we'll have your mic open there. Uh, and so, I mean, I, I would say, you know, away from the, you know, the, the war aspect of it, I mean, yeah, I mean, that was pretty powerful. And, of course, that is what is really consuming <laughs> uh, the airwaves, you know, both on TV and on radio about those particular, uh, you know, statements, you know, during the speech. I mean, but there's so much more he's talking about. Uh, you know, one is, you know, we're not, you know, not going to go in and try to change everyone. Talk about, you know, and diversity is not really one of my favorite words, uh, but he did use it a lot uh, in saying, look, you know, we don't have to be the same country. We don't have to really believe all in the same thing, you know, but we could still work together, you know, even in spite of that. You know, we don't have to – and I think – I mean, I really – who here, does anyone here think that he was really railing against the one-world government? That, I mean, the whole speech um, almost seemed that he was railing against that. Did anyone else get that, uh, you know, that kind of feeling, that notion like I did? I mean, that's what I, I think he's really, you know, handing it to the, the globalists saying, look, we don't really, we don't need to go that way uh, in order for our, our nations uh, or, our, or, more importantly, yeah. the people of our nation to be prosperous. Yeah. Um, um, but, but, yeah, let me let me throw some thoughts out about that. Uh, he was subtly, with undercurrents, saying, "I want the people to prosper." The deep state in America, he opposes. They oppose him. We've noticed that, obviously. But he's appealing to the people of the world in the platform given to him, and so. He was trying to motivate the people all over the world to overthrow their deep states in their respective countries. It's a subtle thing, but if you listen to his speech over and over, you'll get it. He is not a globalist. He is not a new world order. Totally applaud him for doing that. Yeah, well, um, I think he's right. I think, Kelly, you're right. Um, he is, hopefully he's not a globalist. He should be a Manchurian candidate. Um, some of the viewpoints he's um, he's gone against uh, his campaign promises. He hasn't, his major campaign promises, he's tried to, if he uh, if he hasn't at uh, by now, uh, fulfilled them. He's tried to fulfill them without the cooperation of Congress. He's done more in just 160 days, 180 days, without the cooperation of Congress than probably any modern president, um, you know, in the 1900s. And he How is. do he, more about DACA. We need to get rid of that. That's the yes. Go ahead. Yeah, and DACA too. Um, I, I sympathize with the dreamers that that were brought here as children. Um, and they're saying yeah, but, but you're seeing but are you seeing how they're acting they're they're acting like they're oh, entitled yeah. you know, know it's like it's like we we uh, owe you nothing what makes you what makes you think and act 
that we we actually owe you guys anything. Mm-hmm. Okay. We don't, where we don't owe these people anything. Here's where the contradiction is going to come in. We do owe them something. And I didn't, and I thought the what? same way you did until, even though they were shouting down Pelosi, the one of the uh, people who were uh, was on the Tucker Carlson show. He says, you know, we're paying taxes, and I'm thinking, you know what? Well, I, I seen that. I seen that. Yeah, I seen that episode you're talking about. Yeah, the government owes those people the taxes they stole from them. Now, yes, they were brought over here um, either against their will, you know, or inadvertently, or um, or, or willingly, but they were brought over here by their parents. Now, they don't deserve to, to be here, but, you know, if, for example, a, a burglar came to your house, right? I, I've used this analogy before about illegals. I don't like I don't like immigrants, period. I don't like illegals or illegals, H-1B, visas, anybody. We have 94 million Americans out of work. We don't need more people taking more jobs and the food out of the mouths of natural-born citizens. Natural-born citizens have the right to the first bite of the apple. But what we owe the dreamers is that the ta- they were paying taxes. That means money that was taken out of their wallets, their pocketbooks, their houses, their households, were given to, the, to a corrupt government. The government owes them that, and then ship them back. <laughs> But the thing is, <laughs> and then ship them back. <laughs> and then ship well, them you back. know, and, and we're just like, we're just like, you know, we're just like, you know, black Americans who who think we should give them reparations. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. one of the things I'm, you know, I'm thinking, and and I didn't coin this. I'll give credit credit. It's just something I heard, you know, from Rush Limbaugh years ago when there, you know, was a, a larger, uh, you know, I guess topic or subject mm-hmm. about you know, the, oh, we reparations, reparations. It's like, well, wait a minute, we don't owe you reparations. Just think of it this way. If your ancestors were not brought here, or and I think this could go with the dreamers of why I don't think we owe them anyway, even though they did pay taxes. That's the least they could have done. But the modern because day, think about modern, it. You know, if, if their day. ancestor, wait, wait, wait a minute, uh, if, if the black, if the black ancestors or the dreamers' parents didn't bring them over America, where would they be living now? They'd be yeah, probably growing up and living in Africa. So I mean, look at where yeah, where they would have been living compared to where they're yeah. living now. That's an irrelevant argument. That, that in and of itself is award enough. Go ahead. No, no, that's an irrelevant argument. The fact, what you're saying is you would have been better over there than brought over, than over here. The fact is they were brought over here, brought over here in chains. They weren't writing the Queen Elizabeth to come over here. They were pushed overboard, had to, had to uh, be stuffed in, the, in uh, the underbellies of the galleys to come over here. They were whipped. The thing is, even if they would have been better off here than over there, they were still brought over here against their will and under atrocious uh, circumstances. Now, the reparations, um, the, the people who, if you want to say white people owe black people reparations, died 100 years ago. Modern-day whites do not owe blacks what happened to them 100 years ago. Okay? In my opinion. But people should be sensitive to the situations of any and all people including the American Indians, who have had it worse than anybody because they're still on reservations. Every promise that was given to the, to the Indians by the United States government at that time has been broken. And they have the worst conditions of anybody in America. Yeah, if anyone's been cheated, it was in them, certainly. And I'm, sure. I'm, I'm an agent of uh, Native American. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So here's the thing. Yeah. 
Um, Where's my money? Yeah, no, I'm not saying that. But uh, it's like, but, <laughs> it's I, 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 don't, I mean, I, well, but okay. So, so let's mm-hmm. take your. Let, let, um, we're getting a little off topic, but that's okay. Um, but 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 let's take your uh, your stance, which I don't agree with, but we'll mm-hmm. we'll explore it. Is that so? If we owe them something because they pay taxes, what the heck do we owe them? What the would taxes. we owe them? The taxes. The, the oh, money just give them the money get... back and then send them back. Yep, I say give them give them what was stolen from them, and then really have a real vigorous debate about should they stay here or should they not stay here. Or well, no. But but like, we're talking about giving them taxes, the taxes back. But what about the? But when they first came over here and they didn't speak the language and they were getting, uh, they were probably getting free health care. They were probably getting free education. Uh, their family, if they want to start a business, is probably getting an interest-free loan from the government, okay? And, and their family may have well been on government assistance as well, paid for by the taxpayers' dollars. Right. So if they, if they benefited from the taxation, instead of us owing them their taxes back, isn't them being here actually paying us back for the money that we basically gave to their parents? That that's a good argument. You know, now now that they're here? That's a good argument. While they were a child? But the thing is, their you know taxation of anybody is still a still thievery by the United States government. I'm not for yeah, taxes. Yeah, but we all pay taxes every year. Does that mean all of us get our tax money back? That's then? right. All of us should get our money back because the taxes that we pay uh, would not have been, uh, not necessary to maintain the United States. If it weren't for the Federal well, Reserve coming in in 1913, we would not have to pay the kind of taxes that we do. If you take a look at governmental economics, I'm not talking about the regular economics, Keynesian economics, or what you've learned at school. If you take a look at the way that the government has run the economy in terms of the printing up of the currency, how the currency is created, and how it um, how it's circulated, you would realize that the currency is as a debt-based currency. Everybody thinks that all the United States government has to do, the Treasury, is print up money and then distribute it. That's not how it's done. The Federal Reserve gives the Treasury the um, the authority to uh, create bonds, and then they, through the bonds, get money from investors, which creates the debt that we have. If we were on a straight printing uh, printing situation, we would have a zero amount of debt. The Federal Reserve is the is the most insidiously corrupt institution that ever has existed in the United States. It runs itself independent of the government, regardless of the fact that the president um, appoints the um, the chairman of the of the Fed for I think it's a 14 year term. That's all. That's all for show and tell. The Federal Reserve does not have the um, the moral authority. It certainly has the legal authority, but doesn't have the moral authority to print up the money the way it does by printing it up through debt. That's how the Federal Reserve makes its money. The Federal Reserve gives back to the United States something like $20 billion a year while it keeps the rest um, as profits, but doesn't let the United States government know how that government, I mean, how that money was earned. People have to know about governmental economics. The taxes we pay, the federal income tax, is, is is an immoral tax. It's a legal tax, but it's an immoral tax. All we need are the excise taxes that we had prior to 1913, 
plus the um, allowing the treasury to print up money to do its natural political work, and you wouldn't have federal income tax, state income tax, city income tax, state tax, any of that crap. You would be practically tax-free. Well, no, nothing so, nice. <laughs> Go ahead, John. Are there ways to verify some of this? Because to me it sounds a bit shady in the sense that, oh, it, well, you're oh, saying that the, the, government shady. The, the government <laughs> now the government gets to um, get these treasury bonds or whatnot for X amount or whatever. But also at the discount window, the big institutional bankers and the hedge fund operators get to go use the discount window when we, the rest of us, don't get that same privilege. And Article 4, Section 2 says we get to have all the privileges and immunities of citizens of the several states. Yeah, well, that window, discount window, yeah, that's that's the um, the privileged window that large banks and financial institutions can go to to get a discount from borrowing from the Fed. But then they get to factor that to like 60 or 100 times more than what they actually get from there in their currency. Well, you're talking about the um, uh, the reserve requirements. Yeah, that can go up to about 10 times more. Um, the whole thing is shady. The whole thing is worse than shady. It is a corrupt, immoral Institution. But we ought to be able to figure out how to identify this stuff for facts and evidence to bring a probable cause case to shut this stuff down or to make it more equitably fair and self-governing. Otherwise, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Of course corruption. it is, but that's probably why the $20 billion keeps going back to the United States Congress so that nobody inside Congress will ever think about providing a lawsuit. The worst that's ever done against the, against the Fed was Ron Paul's um, suggestion about auditing the Fed. But auditing the Fed isn't going to do anything unless you really, really have gutsy congressmen who don't mind getting killed investigating the Fed. Because if you start investigating the Fed, you you know, <laughs> people can get killed for $1,000. You think an institution which is about to lose billions and billions of dollars a year won't use some of that money to hire hitmen to kill a Fed, to kill a few congressmen? You have to have balls to do that. And nobody's going to do it. Plain and simple. And there we are. <laughs> On that. Um, and so, you know, what about the part, well, you know, as I said, he talked, you know, a lot about, you know, the sovereignty and that was probably my my favorite part. I think, uh, you know, is talking about about that. You know, especially as I said, and then of course the you talk about mass migration. You know, mm-hmm. where you talk about draining. And I think we mentioned this a little bit earlier. You know, about draining the you know the population from you know the country that people are coming out of, and then you know taxing not like taxation, but you know what I mean, uh, taxing the. Uh, you know, I guess straining the economy. Yeah, yeah, straining the economy. Well, you know, we should. To, we and should when allow I mentioned it. earlier the, mm-hmm. the money we pay for, you know, for these people when they first get here. Oh my God, the kind of money that you do you know what kind of burden immigrants are on this country? I just figured out the other day, and this is kind of like very raw. I was just thinking, supposing 
is 14 million undocumented aliens, which is a very nice euphemism for illegal trespassers. If they just took, if you just take into consideration, each one just taking a normal, going to the bathroom once a day, do you know that adds up to a billion pounds of shit a year that they're dumping in the, <laughs> in the sewer system? A, all right? A billion pounds. Now, that's gross, but I'm saying that in order to make people become a little bit more aware of the other kind of um, um, waste on our resources that the immigrants are costing us. What about the showers they take? What about the food that they eat? What about the oxygen that they breathe? What about the roads that they use their cars to travel on, the wear and tear? What about the fact that they don't learn English? What about the fact that they're going to schools, as you had mentioned before? Going to schools. They don't want to assimilate, by and large. They want to have no. a separate country. How about La Raza? They want to take back America, give it back mm-hmm. to Mexico. Are you crazy? No, I shipped the well, hell. Well, and that's another thing. Well, and, and that's back back to those dreamers. I mean, how many of the how many of the dreamers we see, you know, waving Mexican flags when they're oh, while yeah. they're making their demands? Right. I say ship them all back, but I. But the question was, do we owe them anything? Well, what we, what the government steals, the government should pay back. Just like um, I think it was John who was talking about, the, shouldn't we get back, or maybe it was you, Robert, shouldn't we get back our taxes from the government? Absolutely. But the well, fact I that, think there's mm-hmm. no hit. Well, the fact, ahead, that they, we, the fact that they are, who goes first? <laughs> get, well, you you go ahead and then John. Second, I don't know who's on third. <laughs> yeah, I love that comedy <laughs> skit. Oh, I love that skit. Uh, exactly. Who's on third? <laughs> who's on first? <laughs> the fact that they're here. I don't know mm-hmm. who's on first. What's on second? What's on second? Exactly. The, the other question that, or the other concern that piles up into this is psychologically, what are we doing to? I mean, the rest of our society, I mean, I don't know about everybody else, but I'm not collecting unemployment. But I'm still a taxpayer in the sense that I have fellow Americans, like you mentioned, Joe, there's 94 mm-hmm. million that are on the taxpayer dole, either you know welfare That's or right. unemployment or some form of social services. And like I explained on the last show a week ago, here in 2007, 8, and 9, you know, all these people were bellying up on their house payments and losing their houses because a lot of these companies outsourced their jobs to foreign countries, mm-hmm. and it wasn't their fault that mm-hmm. their company up and booted them, you know, mm-hmm. decided to leave the country, and they lost their job, and then they can't force employers to interview them, and they can't force them to hire them. All they can do is continue to put out applications and resumes and try to get somebody to take the bait and, you know, give them an interview so they can get another job. And then our congressmen and senators and stuff, they're saying, oh, these DACA kids, they didn't do anything wrong. It's not their fault. And I'm like, yeah, but what are you saying to the psychology of my fellow American that you said it was okay for them and to lose their quality of life and to be thrown in the ditch and in the unemployment and, and lose their go. standard of living like their quality of life doesn't matter, but these DACA kids do. The psychology ain't going to sell. It makes people just really upset, and it, they end up stealing from their neighbors if they can't find a job, and then it permeates more and more, and then you hear, well, one of the things that kind of bugs me is I keep hearing these people saying, 
oh, we got more people working today than we got 4% or whatever it is, unemployment and stuff. That's bullshit. But the labor participation rate still 62, 63%. I'm like, what? I'm like, what? Doggone, you know, planet What kind of math are you on? using? I know. <laughs> and so I'm saying psychologically, you're sowing the seeds of it's going, it takes to, you got to be a crook and to manipulate people and steal in order to make it in this, in this country. And that's going to destroy us. We, they don't care. The enemy doesn't care whether we trust them or not. They don't, they only are concerned that we distrust each other because mm-hmm. then they get to control everything because yeah. we're all running with our, like a chicken with our head cut off trying to figure out who's lying and who's cheating and thieving us. You're right. You're absolutely right. That's why Trump got elected, because people got tired of this bullshit. The silent majority, 94 million people out of work, looking for jobs, finding that the employers would rather hire somebody for $5 an hour than be fined for trying to hire an, uh, an American for less than minimum wage. If we didn't have the minimum wage law, you know, maybe the employer would be able to hire an American who would be willing to pay uh, to take the job for less than $11. And if we didn't have 14 million illegals, maybe 20 million illegals, who don't want to assimilate, okay, unlike the people who came over here in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, who couldn't assimilate when they were here because they couldn't speak the language, but their kids could. But now the people who are coming here don't even care if the kids don't assimilate. You have third-generation Hispanics who do not mm-hmm. speak English. That's why we English. push two, you know, push two for English, all that, or, or push one for English. Yeah. That drives me absolutely insane, to be honest. Doesn't it, though? You know, Jesus, give me a goddamn break. I was hoping that one day we would have English as an official language. That means that... Um, legally, right. everybody would have to speak English, and if you couldn't, hasta la vista. Right. No, I agree with that. I've always, I've always said that. Yeah, let it, let it. And yeah, if you notice, the um, the politicians don't want it as an official language. What's the holdup? What's the obstacle? Yeah, all countries always, have yeah, an why, official yeah, why language. Why not? It always made me wonder. Yeah. All other countries that I know of have an official language. Why not us? Everybody speaks English anyway. It's the informal language. Why not? We're not Canada. We're not divided between Spanish, between <laughs> right. French and um, and English. Yeah, that's just, yeah, that's a good point. But no, the politicians, people. When people start talking about the Republican Party versus the Democrat Party, that that pisses me off because they're both just the same, different wings of the same vulture. They're not there to help us. That is an irrelevant argument, as though if you went to a hospital and you knew there were two factions that governed that hospital and they controlled the policies, and these two factions were in, were in charge of the kind of medical aid that you were to receive, and each one of these particular um, uh, factions, there was only two, but each one of them, over time were giving you bad medicine, would you continue to go to that hospital? Would you continue to say, I want, I want this faction versus, I want A faction versus B faction to be in charge of the medical policy, or would you say, get them the fuck out? But no. Oh, that was an F-bomb. <laughs> oh, sorry. But, you know, but no, what do we do? Every two years, we keep voting either poison A or poison B. And then when poison B doesn't work, we vote back in poison A. Somebody explain that to me. 
Well, yeah, I already you know, know, you know you, you know, you're talking about, uh, you know, the kind of the pendulum that you hear the uh, the people talk about, you know, how the pendulum swings. Uh, you know, like every, you know, you have maybe eight years of a, of a Democrat, and then you get a Republican, and then, and then the Democrat, you know, kind of four years or eight years after that, yeah. same thing. Right. So why? Because people are brainwashed. That's why I keep saying people, the Americans are stupid people. I'm not condemning them for being stupid. It's the American public school system, which dumbs us all down until we grow up, and then we start saying, you know what, this just doesn't seem to make sense. And then when you say it often enough, then you start saying, you know what, there is a matrix. And then after a while, you realize you're in it, and then you realize you can get out of it by taking a look uh, using critical thinking at what reality is. But it's hard to do so because nobody wants to realize that their government is working against them deliberately. Hey, Joe, did you, did you say that Americans grow up or throw up? Throw up, not grow up. <laughs> throw up. <laughs> Once you throw up enough, you know, and then you say, oh, God, this taste <laughs> of my mouth is just getting too bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, maybe that's the better explicative. <laughs> yeah, people are throwing up at the politicians and what they're doing that will finally bring a change um, that'll be better for the people. The only change then that I see, okay, is all people becoming de-brainwashed. And either uh, voting in libertarians or voting in anarchists or voting in people like Trump and, and then imprisoning the people, uh, the members of Congress who are already there. But well, well, I'm not in charge well, of we said this many times. Well, we're voting them out. I mean, yeah, that'd be good, too. But, I mean, one of the things, you know, we said that maybe, you know, it would be good for Trump to do is to, you know, what, 2000, especially like a 2018 coming. Is get behind and support, you know, any non, uh, you know, non-incumbent, you know, candidate to primary out. Not all of them, but most of the uh, most of the current uh, politicians, and, and get them out of there. You know, what I mean, just, well, just, mm-hmm. if they support them, I think if he throws his support behind him, a lot of them will actually win him in the primary. Yeah, they probably he, would. He doesn't have a good history of doing that right now. He but. doesn't have a good history because Ann Coulter, he's, you know, she is. She is his, outside of Hannity, she is his most devout supporter. But when um, Trump gave his support behind somebody, I think it was Strange and two other um, and two other candidates. Um, you know, and Strange, Ann not uh, more. Yeah, and I think two other candidates. Well, what's that, oh. what's that noise coming from here? I don't know. Uh, so much sound. Yeah, I hear it. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. That was me. Hey, Joe, I got a question oh. for you. Can Joe, I find you rather intriguing, interesting, and always challenging. And, and I got to ask, like, were you homeschooled, or did you watch very little TV growing up, or why are you so different from many people? It's a positive difference, but why, why are you so different from many people? Well, I got sick of what I was looking at uh, with regards to the political reality, starting with how come America is um, giving foreign aid to Israel and to Saudi Arabia, and why was America, just going back a few years before I started doing research, why is America selling arms to not only its allies, but to its enemies and the enemies of its allies? 
And then yeah, I, I don't know either. It's it's befuddling. Well, because you have to reach a conclusion through a series of uh, uh, connecting the dots. First off, what can help is take a look at the at an archive called the National Security Archive uh, website, where a lot of declassified CIA documents show that the government doesn't work on our behalf. Okay, what what what's that? We're getting a lot of something. Sounds like an alien is eating his lunch or something. <laughs> <laughs> well. You know, the aliens are in Washington, D.C. They bleed green. The American people bleed red. You know, yeah. I'm not racist if you bleed red. If you bleed green like the politicians or the space lizards, then, yeah, I'm going to be racially prejudiced against those who bleed green. And that just happens to be a lot of people in D.C. So how do we change this? It's a very good question, like I was saying. I, unless it comes, you know, the propaganda... Um, changed us all and got all of us when we were kids through the public school system and private school system by, you know, pledging <laughs> our hands over our hearts to the, to the anthem and to the flag, which I, I don't have a problem with. But when it's always, it's, our, it's your country, you love it or leave it, I have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with people burning the flag. They're not burning the flag. A lot of them are not burning the flag. They hate the United States, but they hate the government. And that's what the flag represents. So I'm not against that. Well, that, I, well, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if the flag itself represents the government. I, I mean, think, to some you know, people, to those who burn it, not to all people who burn it, but to a lot of the people who burn it, it's represent it's a representation of a misuse of what America should be. So they're burning the flag as their kind of uh, protest. In other words, yeah, I mean, I, mean I see it. You know, I see it more of uh, representing just the nation itself more so than, you know, representing the government. Well, to a lot of people, sure, but to some other people, no. But to a lot of people, they're brainwashed into becoming social justice where, uh, warriors, where every microaggression means that the United States is against them, and they. They shouldn't live in this kind of country, and they should, where are you going to go? You want to go to Russia? Go ahead. You want to go to Vietnam? Hey, go ahead. You want to go to Germany, France? Hey, be my, be my guest. Matter of fact, go park your ass next to a Syrian refugee and see how you like it over there. I would hope that the people that were here in America would recognize, though, you can't blame the flag for what their corrupt politicians do. We need Absolutely. to get the focus on where the corruption really is, and, and otherwise we're giving credence to the, the, they're, they're, it's kind of a twisted, um, what do you call it, psychological projecting, mm-hmm. where they're projecting the corruption of our you know, oligarchy of centralized dictators to the actual freedoms and liberties that we stand for. Yeah. It's misguided and misdirected. And you're right, it is. It's a psychological warping of the mind, which is what brainwashing does, which is what George Orwell had warned us against in 1984 when he said the mind is such that you can have two, two thoughts in your mind, both antithetical to one another, right, mutually contradictory to one another. Okay, there's still a lot of something going on in the background. Sorry, I said... Yeah, you can have those two thoughts, and you know that they contradict one another, but you have them in your mind, and you still believe both of them are true, even though you know they both contradict one another. That's the way the mind works. We're not rational 
We're not a rational species. Well, I, 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 th- I agree with what you're saying. I was just wishing that, because I can, I can understand the fact that I feel the same way. Our government is corrupt, but I'm not blaming it on my flag and what our flag stands for. I'm pointing the fingers at all of our politicians who, and this is something that I've heard several times too. Everybody say, well, we keep voting in the same guys. Well, naturally, because the system's broken, all these people that run for office, they lie through their teeth. They get all these data points from all these information brokers all over the nation. So they know how to tell you what you want to hear. And then they make a calculated guess on the actual percentage of who represents Mm -hmm. what particular blend of of information. And then they tell you what you want to hear in order to get in office. And then once they get in office, they just crap and pee all over you and just say, you know, well, just call Well, this is getting kind of disgusting here, guys, all this uh, toilet what? talk. Body talk? <laughs> yeah, but, but, I mean, yeah, but he's absolutely right. The thing is, though. When, you get in, when they get into office and you, they say, oh, you can call and talk to me and this and that, well, geez, half the time you can't ever talk to them. I'm, I, the only time I've ever got to talk to any representative is when I went to a town hall meeting. I cornered them in the hallway. Mm-hmm. Other than that, and then they blow you off because they've got so many henchmen along with them that come and stand in front of you and don't let you actually talk mm-hmm. to them. And then when you try to leave a message, you know, half the time their message stays full. And then if you get to talk to a, an aide or a staffer, you, you get about five minutes if you're lucky, and they're always saying, well, hey, we got other people on the line. we got to tell you. So you never get anything above surface-level vague ambiguity. You don't, You know what I'm saying? It's so it's like, how are you supposed to run a government that way based on the people? So it's all a scam. It's just, it's the rule of man to see free masquerading as the rule of law under the color of law. And your legislative slaves, they're committing fraudulent misrepresentation, extrinsic fraud, failure of consideration, duress, coercion, exploitation, government sanctioned assault. I mean, you name it. There's all these infractions, and they're getting away with it. Yeah, of course. That's because they know that the American people are dumbed down, brainwashed idiots. And again, I'm not saying that in a derogatory way. We all were all. all, all. <laughs> it sounds that way. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, you know. Well, Joe, mm. let me throw out another perspective, okay? This is more from the heart, more from emotional and logical observation of the human race. It's not that we're stupid, we're discouraged. We're discouraged because our congressmen don't listen to us. They listen to the big corporations. They listen to people that have power, money, and influence to help them get elected. And we are just discouraged. So why even try? Why vote? Yeah, I hear that a lot. Yeah. Why vote? Why call your representative? Why write a suggestion for Congress? Because they're not going to listen. It's called discouragement. You know, considering the American people and their brilliance and hard work and other so many other things, there's one thing that'll flank all this. It's called discouragement. So the American people are beaten down, they're trodden down, and they need leaders. They need encouragement. I like that Trump says many great things about many good people. I've never heard a president talk so positively about the American people and. In my lifetime And so that's I think that's the issue And that can inspire people To run for office 
um, and find encouragement where they can, I think we'd start to see things change. Um, I, I guess my bottom line is I'll defend the American people because they're discouraged. They're not stupid. They're just discouraged. But, Kelly, what's going to make that change, though? I mean, that I agree with what you just said, but these people, it seems like power corrupts. They can seem like the greatest person in the world when they're campaigning or when you know them before. Once they get in the office, either the, either the people that are pulling the strings from behind are threatening them, saying, look, if you don't do what we tell you to do, we're going to, you know, break your kids' legs or whatever. Or there's just bowing to the money saying, look, if you want to make $174,000, $175,000 a year, you, just, you know, you're going to be limited to that. But if you do what I tell you to do, I'll make you a multimillionaire by, by the end of your four or six years or whatever. And I'm like, how do you get them to care enough to make that change? Because what you're saying is exactly true. Well, I would focus local victories. And you can't you can't just go run for Congress and win. Maybe start out at the local level where people uh, really appreciate what you do, that you're listening and doing what you can. And then you work up to your state house and then you become a congressman. That was Doug Lamalfa, which he had a town hall meeting uh, Monday night here in the little town of Rica. He started out, you know, a local government, then he went to the state assembly, and then he became the United States congressman. And he is one of 535 congressmen on his vacation in August, early September. He is one of the 535 that held town halls all over his district. And that, that, that you know, in some ways... Um, I might disagree with some of his politics, but I cannot disagree with his actions. And so, yeah, so when he gets out there, he's meeting with the people, he's encouraging them, he's inspiring them. That's what we need. Yeah, but isn't that just a dog and pony show? So that way it looks like there's some credibility in the system. And, and hey, come on to my town hall and talk to me. That's just the same thing as they tell you, oh, call my office and, you know, we'll help you out. And the only people yes, that help out is their crony, crooked, colluding accomplices. Well, okay, but guess what? He doesn't need this to get elected. He doesn't right, need he does. Um, say that again. I couldn't make out what you said. Doug Lamalfa yeah. does not need to do these town halls to get re-elected. It's a slam dunk for him in the, in the north state of California. He represents 11 counties. He doesn't need to do this. What he's saying is, I'm going out there and I'm going to find out what the needs of the people are. He was one out of 535 for the 534. Were they going out and doing town halls? No. Did, did he need to but yeah, but Kelly, um, I'm going to agree with the statement where people are discouraged, not stupid. But I'm going to, but I'm going to disagree with that part about us not being stupid. Yes, we're discouraged, but then your particular solution is work within the system. My solution is the system, just like Trump said, is rigged. It's broken. Has been for decades. If you're trying to work within it, all you're going to do is perpetuate the system, which keeps um, 
<laughs> keeps making laws that keep uh, the American people from prospering. But if you take a look at if, now again, this is just a big if, if people in the United States were actual critical thinkers, actual logically thinking human beings, it wouldn't matter how corrupt the people running for Congress are or how corrupt they may be. Because we, as the American people, would be very, very judicious in our choices. We would take a look at their backgrounds. We wouldn't be influenced by the, um, the dog and pony show, by the balloons, by the colored hats, by the, uh, the, um, the people coming up on stage and, uh, and making promises. We would just take a look at their, at their records and say, you know what? Your particular background doesn't seem good enough for me. I don't care about your promises. What have you done? You haven't done anything. You're just a community organizer. You know, the other argument against that would be, well, you know, well, we need farmers and we need plumbers in office. But have you been honest? But, Joe, mm-hmm. um the, the system, like you said, is so corrupt. We need to figure out how to make the laws reflect that if every position in government, city, county, state, and federal, was uh, occupied by Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin or any corrupt dictator, that it would be able to keep them in line. Because just people change. And as long as people are involved, we need to figure out how to make the system so stringent that if the co- most crooked, corrupt person was in every office in all of our country, they would still be held accountable. And that's not—that's the problem more than that, just picking the right people. Well, I agree with you on that, too. That's why I want to have the Constitution re, uh, rewritten. Because, the, you know, everybody's talking about, you know, we have the uh, uh, checks and balances. Really? You're telling me that... <laughs> The judges who are elected by the senators, who are the members of the same party as the judges who are being ratified, that's uh, an example of an independent checks and balance uh, system? Don't think so. I would like to have, uh, you know, an independent type of review board, which is not funded by, by Congress, which takes a look at um, the people who are being nominated for our judges, um, and people like the IG, the, the Inspector General, who will take a look at the congressional um, laws um, and make recommendations. And then the people, if they were smart enough, would say, you know what? I like these recommendations. I vote these people out, and I will put in people who I think are honest. And if they're not honest, if they don't prove their honesty within two years or so, have a recall. I know as a libertarian, well, it, there are... Well, it would probably, probably help also to have uh, term limits. <laughs> you have term limits, too. But as a libertarian, there are 600 to 700 libertarians who have been elected to public office, and not one of them has had um, a financial or a sexual scandal out of the 600. But also, John, you're right. I mean, people being the way that we are, people can change. You 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 hang a you hang a nice pretty brilliant bauble in front of somebody and um, you know uh, <laughs> that person can change. 
you walk down the corridors of power long enough with people calling you sir and people saying, you know what, Senator, your farts smell good. That person is going to want to stay in that kind of office. So we do need an independent system. Well, unfortunately, at this time, I'm going to have to close things out. Uh, we didn't even get any much opportunity for any uh, closing thoughts, but I just thought, you know, I knew the time was coming. I just let the want to just go ahead and let things go as they were headed. And so what we'll do is I'll, fortunately, I'll to close it out and thank everyone for coming to the show tonight. Uh, I had to, uh, unfortunately, uh, Kelly had to do something with uh, the mic because we had some sound going. Uh, but I do have to close things out. We'll see you next week. We'll see what uh, topics uh, come up. Uh, and Again, please uh, share the link out with folks so that they can uh, listen to the show as well, and if we get them uh, to either leave comments on the website, on the contact page, you can reach me uh, at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Uh, so thanks again, folks, and I will, of course, end tonight as I do every night, and that is what the song by Aubrey Ashburn, and you can hear more of her music by going to www.aubreyashburn.com. Take care, folks. We'll see you next time, and good night. Good night. Good night. Bye-bye. Thank you.